The drive-through is GTM's monthly news episode and is sponsored in part by organizations like hpdejunkie.com, Hooked on Driving, AmericanMuscle.com, CollectorCarGuide.net, Project Motoring, Garage Style Magazine, and many others. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor of the drive-through, look no further than www.gtmotorsports.org. Click About and then Advertising. Thank you again to everyone that supports Grand Touring Motorsports, our podcast, Break Fix, and all the other services we provide. Welcome to Drive Through episode number 14. This is our monthly recap where we put together a menu of automotive, motorsport, and random car adjacent news. Now, let's pull up to window number one for some automotive news. That's right, Tanya. And this month, Brad's not with us. He's out on paternity leave, but we have a special guest host. It's Mark Shank, petrol head extraordinaire, who some of you might recognize from our 90s What Should I Buy episode. So welcome to the drive-thru, Mark, and thanks for coming on. Awesome. It's great to be back. I'm looking forward to it. Haven't gone through the notes. This should be a lot of fun. <laughs> well, we're going to kick off this month like we do every month with a showcase brand. And we're doubling down with respect to the episode you did where we talked about Mercedes and BMW. So we're going to hit up both right away. Mercedes has revealed their G-Wagon electric concept, which apparently is not really a concept, but a near production version. G-Wagon. I am geeked about this. This is with their whole EQ platform. They got the EQS that's coming out. That's the sedan and the EQG here now. And unlike the other EQ versions that stray a little bit from what we normally see from Mercedes, the G-Wagon is looking like classic G-Wagon. It's boxy. It's got some round headlights. So it already sold me square body round lights. I'm good with it. I like it. It looks good. Uh, this is Hummer did it first. This is what Mercedes is doing it better. <laughs> well, there's that. But this is what we talk about every month. We talk about the fact that if you do retro right, you can take a lot of these cars and make them super cool EVs without reinventing the wheel. Not everything has to look like a spaceship. And one of our members in our group, one of the veteran off-roaders, he actually off-roads a G-Wagon. It's a 2000s era. They all look the same from like, you know, World War II up until today. And even this thing, there's not much difference, but, you know, probably independent suspension all the way around and all those electric goodies and things like that that Drew was actually talking about on his episode. I think this is cool. This is the right move. They don't get a choice, right? Right move, wrong move. It's a move they got to make. This is like Pepsi not doing diet. It's got to happen. I think the LEDs like all over might be a little much. I mean, they've just gone all the way in on that grill, which is hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it started with the S-Class Coupe and it was kind of like, oh, it's like the Starlight grill. And now they're just like, nah, screw it. We're just going to put an LED in each component. It's really a third headlight. So is, is is LEDs the replacement for Chrome? Is that like the new thing? Yeah, it's like LEDs. Are they going to be like the fins from the 50s? Uh, You know, I could be okay with that because you could turn the LEDs off, but you can't turn Chrome off. (laughs) You can spray paint it though. It's true. (laughs) So I haven't read about this. Have they announced anything particularly spectacular about it? I mean, I see 577 horsepower, like at least with the Hummer when they came out, it was like, they had just like crazy hyperbolic type numbers all around the Hummer. And this is- the European Hummer, right? This is their military vehicle made civilian. Although this is a lie now, the current version is not a military vehicle, but 
so is the Hummer. So well, I don't I don't think the 577 is this vehicle. That's the current top rated G-Class Mercedes, which is gas powered. Because really all they're talking about here in Car and Driver is that it's got four motors on each wheel and it's all wheel drive. (laughs) If it's got four electric motors, it's probably doing pretty well. That thing's going to rip. Plus that will be electronically controlled all wheel drive where you can send 100% of the power to 25% of the the vehicle. That's pretty slick. I'm curious to see how that would work in an off-road condition. And I know a lot of people that buy G-Wagons are going to and from their private schools and whatnot or or the soccer field, but there are folks out there like Drew that do run them off-road. So I'd be curious to see how this holds up against one of the legacy G-Wagons. It has a a well-earned reputation for an authentic off-road capability. And and they were trying to preserve that with the Hummer launch. So hopefully when we get more details, they go in a similar direction. So what else is in the news from Mercedes there, Tanya? Well, we started out strong with a lot of excitement there around the G-Wagon. And then you hear Mercedes Maybach. Oh, okay. All right. And then you look at it. And then I'm done. Like, I don't even care to read the rest of the article. This thing is fugly. They've always been fugly. They're all fugly. What's a Maybach that's not fugly? Uh, Touche. Like, why? (laughs) Like, you have this gorgeous G-Wagon, and then you have this. Sad, weird looking, like when Buick was making ugly things. You know that you hit the nail on the head. This reminds me of an early 2000s Buick. It screams Park Avenue, Buick Regal, like with that massive grill that just, I, I don't know how to explain this thing. But even if you took the old Maybach, which was basically, you know, the E class, like on steroids and just blown up. This doesn't even come close. It doesn't look like anything. It just looks like a deformed M-Class, like an ML 350 or something like that. It looks like a suppository on spinners. (laughs) I don't get it. You know what? You know what I think throws me off the most? More than even the LEDs? It's the two-tone paint reminiscent of like a 63 Beetle where they did the same thing and kind of painted the belt line down burgundy and the top was black and, and the fenders were black. I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't like it. You can, you can tell from the pictures, the grill's fake. Well, that I was going to say. No, that there's too. no depth on the grill. Yeah. It's fake. Throwing me too is how it's just like a painted grill. It's like, I get it. You don't want to mess up the aerodynamics. Hence the giant ugly wheels. I mean, how much do those wheels weigh? 800 pounds each? Uh, they're made out of magnesium? Yeah, there you go, right? Exactly. They're <laughs> off of a tractor. Moving on from this, I found something else that just blew me away. And this is a little bit of a teaser for our lost and found section that's going to be coming up here in a little bit. I found a 2011 Mercedes AMG that was a hell of a deal. It's listed as a C8 and in quotations, the might, M-I-G-H-T, The ad was subsequently pulled down very recently, but I managed to scour the internet and find the pictures. It might be hot trash. (laughs) I mean, this is so bad. I feel like it's rolled over, like an integer that's just gone over the top. I mean, you got to respect whoever was committed enough to do that. They're batshit crazy. Yeah. I don't want to hang out with them, but (laughs) I have a degree of respect for them somewhere deep down. There is something weird like that going on. Like, I want to hate this with a passion that burns with the fire of 10,000 suns. And then there's just like a sliver of, but wow, somebody did this. I'm confused by the intakes. Is it a mid-engine conversion? (laughs) That's where I was going. How many motors does this thing have, right? Because it's got snorkels in the front, in the back. 
facing the wrong direction, by the way. And then it's got a big ass Mercedes grill on the front, which looks like they glued it to the coyote from Hardcastle and McCormick. Like, I do not understand this car. That's a double tape, double sided tape. That's what's on there. (laughs) I think the only thing I could appreciate are the wheels. But then you realize it's got this like almost Bodicea thing in the center of it. I don't know. The, the, the way they butchered the A-pillar, it thinks it's like a golf cart they tried to make look like a Corvette. Like it might not even actually be a Corvette. <laughs> it might not even be a, it might not even be a Mercedes. I mean, it might be one of those gators. They just welded all this fiberglass onto the front and back of it. I mean, it looks uncomfortable as all get out. I mean, if you look at this dashboard, I mean, all of it is just anus. Absolutely. I mean, but, but with the with the AMG emblems, I mean, this this guy knows what he's, whoever did this has to be a guy. You know what I really appreciate, though? And this is a shout out to our member, Andrew Bank. The exhaust tips on this Mercedes are as twisted and messed up as his were on his Mercedes. So I guess they got something in common, except we wish this one was in a flood. So moving on to BMW. BMW not only making their, you know, I-series electric cars, et cetera, et cetera. They also are unveiling an electric bicycle. Excuse me, what? It also gets the I designation. Apparently it's called the iVision Ambi, A-M-B-Y. I do not know what that acronym stands for. However, it's an electric bicycle that can go 186 miles, has a speed of 28 miles an hour. Is that a bike or a motorcycle at that point? They're considering it a bicycle. Does it have pedals? Yes. I've looked at these in Maryland and other, because I wanted to get something similar like this, not for any valid reason, just because it was crazy and a bad idea. I thought it would be great to do. The laws vary state by state. They're hard to get registered. Some people say it's a moped and it got mo- has moped rules. Some people say it's not, it's got pedals, it's a bicycle. It's so hard. I mean, I give them credit at least. It's got discs in the front and the back and it's got suspension. And Does it get an M version? in the future <laughs> m m sport m sport yeah, yeah. m sport and b whatever that gets called this goes back to what i've said many times before in the bmw world there is an ass for every seat and now there's a bicycle seat for that ass so there is a high speed pedelec they call it mode that goes to 37 miles an hour that's fast on a bicycle <laughs> yeah you're hauling butt yeah. that's motorcycle well, territory it, it has a version without pedals it looks like and more of like a cafe racer style seat than a bicycle seat do you actually change gears or is it a double clutch <laughs> i mean <laughs> this, this, this on your bicycle this is borderline bicycle and very slim line moped it's not like, unattractive like they've done a good job in terms of the look and everything i think it's it's cool I'm a little suspect of that rear swing arm. It has no rear fork. I thought that was kind of odd. That's a little bit more like dirt bike style, but I'm also looking at the first image going, I just don't understand if that's a rendering or if that's defying physics. They have pictures of somebody on it. But I think the pictures are all in the pedal version, not that little race one. I think I would try it though. In all honesty, I would give this thing a go. Being a bicycle fan, I'd, I'd give it a turn. The unfortunate part is probably cost like, you know, 25 grand. (laughs) 
Well, yeah. I'm shocked it gets that many miles on those huge tires. I mean, the rolling resistance on tires, even on the street one, as opposed to the knobby one, those are pretty- Well, look at some pretty, of those mountain pretty, bikes these pretty days. Pretty chunky boy tires. A lot of road noise though. Woo, 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 you know, <laughs> the big tires. Speaking yeah. of a lot of road noise. The Rolls-Royce hybrid dump truck. Uh, first of all, that is a BMW product, but what? But it's hybrid, so it shouldn't be making noise, right? If Rolls-Royce makes dump trucks. Let's just start with that. <laughs> is this the Rolls Royce or is it because they split the company like a while ago, right? Like, how does that work? It's all BMW at the end of the day, isn't it? It looks a well, lot. No, because like- remember when BMW bought Rolls Royce, they screwed up and didn't buy the ability to use the Rolls Royce logo because they split Rolls Royce commercial from Rolls Royce automobile. So- so it sounds like the Rolls-Royce is providing the engine, but the dumpers themselves are by a different manufacturer. So they're just putting a motor in it. So my other question is, are they authorized to pass under bridges on interstates in Georgia? Depends on their height and whether or not Georgia needs the bridge moved. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't even look like a dump truck. That looks like one of those mining operation type yes. vehicles. Yes. Yeah. Based on the height of those safety rails on the side. I mean, that thing is... It's two stories, I think. 10-foot tire. It's probably one of the Rolls-Royce turbines. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Turbine hybrid? That's actually kind of a cool combination. I'd like to see how that works and how that operates. I'm sorry. I should read the article before I talk. It looks <laughs> I will say styling-wise, the Rolls-Royce Cullinan and this dump truck, really not too different. In defense of the comment, this was unveiled at a mining convention, so... <laughs> <laughs> Like right before the show, I was just scouring the M3 wagon. Looks like it's coming this generation. Really? Probably probably not to the US. It just popped up some uh, photos of the camouflage. You know, they put that crazy black and white. um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Camouflage. The spy paint. The question is, have they run it around the Nürburgring yet? Because then you know it's legit. When they do that, the car's coming out. I mean, they're just photos of it on the streets in Germany, not around Nuremberg, but it looks pretty cool. We'll have to keep tabs on that then. See if we can beg to get it over here. We talked about wagons a while back. It's it's one of those things where it's diminishing returns. The numbers of wagons every year are getting smaller and smaller and smaller and being replaced by CUVs and SUVs and gigantic hatchbacks, what's called what they really are, right? Unfortunately, that's all the news we could come up with for Mercedes and BMW this month. So we know they get it, they gotta do something a little bit more exciting. They gotta get out there. But these are these are pretty interesting. But I think we need to move on to Volkswagen Audi Group. Do we? Should we? I'm very Uh, annoyed. Sadly, the Beetle, they put it to rest. It's a very unfortunate, and I hope with the resurgence of, you know, retro and electric cars and retro electric, that the Beetle, I will say it again, is the perfect candidate for an electric car. Stick those batteries back in the back where the original air-cooled engine was. Get that frunk. Volkswagen, you need to do this. And you need to do it Soon. before the freaking Aura Ballet Cat comes out. But wait, the, what? If we remember that hideous punk cat, this Chinese knockoff of the Beetle that we talked about several months ago. Apparently now there's the EV version that they're calling the Aura Ballet Cat. And it's also fugly. And the problem is apparently there might not be patents on the Beetle design. And if there aren't, freaking people in Wolfsburg need to get on this. Is that even possible? either need to dig up something to block the use of this design or I don't know what 
quickly throw some battery packs in the back of a new beetle or an old beetle or an original beetle, whatever. Get it done. We, we it shouldn't done. be surprised the uh, people's wagon is popular in the people's Republic, but I mean, somehow they managed to make it uglier, which is hard, I think <laughs> to do. And they did it though. So maybe commendable, but still. And that's a huge debate too. I mean, we talked to somebody recently that was like, Hey, tell us, you know, what you think is an ugly car. And they're like the beetle. And I'm like, really? I've never heard anybody say that before. And they're like, yeah, but it's ugly, but it's cool. And I guess you could say the same thing about the Fiat 500 or the mini or anything of that era that were all designed similarly, but I'm with, I'm with you, Tanya, this copycat, let's call it what it is. It needs to stop. It needs to go away. I mean, mean, it looks like a bloated crossover interpretation of a beetle. I mean, the beetle has proportions and it has some things going for it, certainly, but this is bad. It's like we're trying to modernize it and make the lines more modern, but it's like they did that already with the new beetle. Yes, twice. But this is just elongating it, making it more sedanish almost. I don't know, more like a wagon. It's just not right. It's like we're taking the front end of an original Beetle, but then trying to still modernize the side view and the rear. So we're taking a new Beetle and an, an original Beetle and morphing them together. And we just need to stop and we just need to take the new Beetle-ish design and put an electric motor with a VW badge on it. End of story. Bolt wagon for the win. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. All right. So let's talk about VW's ID series, which are gaining popularity here in the States as well as overseas. Yes. Apparently the ID3 hatch, which is, you know, the more golf sized version, which we're not getting it here yet. If at all, who knows? But in Germany, the lower Saxony police department has already ordered 215 ID3 electric hatchbacks to use as police cars. The Lower Saxony Police Department knows who pays the taxes that fund them. So they got to keep the jobs program that is Volkswagen going. (laughs) Nonetheless, it's pretty cool. We already talked about a remote island in Greece that was using ID4s as police cars. I just find it funny that they're using the bigger version on a smaller locale. And then they got these little, you know, tiny little micro cars that they're, they're running around in as police cars. I hope this is parking enforcement or something like, come on guys. You're in the land of the Autobahn. Like, what are you going to do? They're going to run out of juice. That's what they're going to do. Yes. And we're going to bring this back up. A little bit later. (laughs) Excellent. But there's a lot of buzz right now around the ID buzz. There was a sighting of a of an ID buzz. So that's the van, the new kind of van again for those that don't recall what the ID buzz is in a robo taxi guys, as they call it in the article. Essentially, I think they're testing self-driving capability. So it's a self-driving test vehicle. Johnny Cash has a very similar kit loadout to the Waymo cars, full LIDAR spectrum up front and or on top. Pretty cool though. So what got me about this, when I saw this come across my desk from Garage Riot, I noticed something really important. All the previous renderings of the ID Buzz, it seemed a lot smaller. This thing literally looks like a previous generation Eurovan that's been updated. Now I'm confused. How big is the ID Buzz going to be? I don't know. I don't think we know. Being still a concept, they obviously have rain to to make changes, especially if there's issues with safety, compliance, and whatnot, that they have to increase the size. Or maybe some market studies said that people were unhappy if it was too small. I don't know. We're Eat a banana about- for scale. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Well, that's a good point too, is it's tricky in, in the photo sometimes when you don't have something next to it to reference. Sometimes these things look bigger or smaller than they actually are. But you know what's smaller than we think it is? This new VW called the ID Life. Oh yes, this is their little mini, like a hatchback, like a rabbit, but bigger. So it's trying to be like this little mini SUV, but it's way, I mean, it's hard to tell in this picture because they say it's a mini SUV. And I look at this and I'm like, this is very small. SUV is a stretch, compact crossover. Since that's the new flavor of the day, maybe a normal size golf. <laughs> I mean, if you look at look at where the rear door handle is, it's over the center point of the wheel, which means your ass is sitting on the rear on axle. The axle. You can get away with that packaging in an electric car for sure, but no one's been that aggressive, right? I mean, the Volt is pretty small. The, little the, minis, the minis are that small where you're basically sitting over the rear wheels. That thing has no trunk, which yeah, exactly. is akin, yeah. akin to a mini. But it also kind of reminds me of that Honda concept. The Honda E. Exactly. So it I reminds mean, me of that, kind of reminds me of that Fiat 126 concept, that rendering we talked about a couple months back. I mean, I like the fact that it's cute and small. It'd be fun in one of those ancient cities in Italy where you can barely get a Fiat 500 through these alleyways. So I understand why this thing exists. I just don't see it really working for, let's say, our shores as an example. Yeah, and they went with the yoke for the steering wheel. Uh, that's a hard pass. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand why cars are doing that. I want to feel like I'm driving a 737 very sportily. Except, okay, you know, yeah, I mean, it, this isn't a formula car. Your hands, yes, when you're racing, oh, don't move your hands. Let's not get into that can of worms. But in the streets... You often are making a turn that's more than 45 degrees. degrees. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless, yeah, unless the steering ratio is insane, in which case it would be very twitchy. There's another new Audi prototype that's coming to the table. The Audi Grand Sphere is what they're calling it. It's a concept right now, and it's what they're using to launch their vision of a self-driving luxury car. So who knows if this will actually come to any sort of fruition. I mean, when you look inside of it, it has nothing. I mean, it's full self-driving. There's no dashboard, but where the dashboard would be, it can project a screen there. There's no steering wheel. I mean, it's like you're in the fanciest first class Qatar Airways plane in your own private pod there. So the question is, this does not grow or shrink like the Audi we talked about last month. No, I believe not. This one they're saying is essentially as long as an A8L. Oh, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Because it has no, you know, if it's electric and all that, they're actually probably getting even more cabin space because they don't need, you know, the room for the big honking V8 or whatever that's in that car. So it's a giant limousine. With four seats. So. Yeah, with four seats. Yeah, but <laughs> yes. they they turn I mean, they huge. all they all turn around in different directions, right? They're like swivel chairs or whatever. So I mean, the pictures look like they that would be hard to do just based I, off. The yeah, picture. the back I mean, seat definitely cannot. It's one giant bench. I realize people would worry about motion sickness, but you might as well take the crash advantages of facing backwards. It's so much safer. But let me ask you this about Audi's current line of concepts, right? I feel like we're in this 
era of concept cars. And I wrote an article about this, I think a year or two ago, it's like good ideas and bad execution and the evolution of some of these concepts that never come to fruition. And then people forget about them. And then eventually they find their way. I mean, you can go back as an example to the Audi Avis in the early nineties that found its way into the Nardo and eventually into the Bugattis and the, and the R8 and all this kind of stuff. And they're part of that family tree. But what I'm starting to notice with the Audis, and I feel like they've been doing this for a while, they restyle all their cars. So they look the same and you can't tell the A5 from the A4, from the seven, from the eight, except for the number of doors and the length of the wheelbase. But every new Audi I've seen so far, I'm like, wow, that's cool. And then I go, are these going to all be on the new Batman movie? All feel like Bruce Wayne should be driving them. I just, I don't get it. You know what this front end of the Grand Sphere reminds me of? And I know it doesn't look similar, but it's just like, you kind of look at it at first glance and you see it. The Audi Avis. I mean, I, I think we're definitely in an era where 50 years from now, they'll be making jokes about the prototype cars like we did about prototypes from the 50s that were like, oh, we're going to fly everywhere and we're going to do all kinds of crazy stuff. I do think it's a reflection of how scared not just the automakers are, the entire supply chain. I mean, I've seen crazy stuff coming out from tire manufacturers. Like everybody's so afraid of being disrupted and existential kind of changes to the business model that they're getting really ambitious with where this might go, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it is sometimes come across as a little ridiculous. The concepts these days are just getting more attention, right? Concept cars have always been ridiculous looking, especially the ones that actually never go anywhere. I mean, if you go looking through concept cars, they all are, are ludicrous. You go back and look at, you know, 50 years ago, the concept car, we're laughing at them like, oh my God, someone thought this was a good idea. I don't know what to say in that regard. If this comes to fruition and would it actually look like this or not? <sighs> Hard to say. Keep it going there, Bruce Wayne. But speaking of other futuristic Blade Runner 2049 looking cars, last month we talked about Audi's proposed entry for the Dakar rally. The Dakar fighter that they built is pretty wicked looking. I mean, it definitely is like the 13th Cylon. I mean, it's all sorts of angles and LEDs and whatnot. We got a hold of this teaser video and we're like, this is really cool. This is really epic. It also conjured up a lot of questions about how are they going to run a car in the desert on just electric? Where are they going to stop and quote unquote fuel up and things like that? But there's an interesting bit of news that also popped up surrounding this. A name synonymous in the world rally world, in the Gymkhana world, in the world of Ford is Ken Block. And now Ken Block has signed with Audi to help develop this Dakar fighter. And I think that's super exciting. And I don't want to spend too much time talking about this. Spoiler alert, we actually have a guest and an episode coming up later this fall where we talk to a very close friend of Ken Block's and get some inside scoop on what's going on in, to Ken's past and projects they've worked on together and where he's going with Audi. So stay tuned for that. But I also want to talk about another VW motorsports development because you don't normally hear about VW in motorsports, like you do Porsche or you do Audi. Volkswagen's always just kind of the parent company, you know, setting up the funding lines for these racing series. You know, the last VW only racing series I think I watched was Hans Stuck during the, the Beetle Cup racing in the UK about 20 years ago, right? Now there's talks that in 25 and 26, VW's setting up to partner with Red Bull to make a play in Formula One to provide the hybrid systems for the Red Bull Formula One cars. 
I think this is awesome. More people participating, more manufacturers participating is always, always awesome. That's the constant struggle in F1. Nothing but good news as far as I'm concerned. So part of the article that we posted, and it'll be part of the show notes, they talk about this thing called the MGUH, the Motor Generator Unit Heat. It's a really fancy hybrid electric internal combustion engine. And just think of it as a giant electric turbocharger. I'm going to, I'm going to summarize that. I'm going to give you the bluff on the rest of that article, but Volkswagen is in development to provide that type of technology for Red Bull in the 2025, 26 season. So really looking forward to seeing Volkswagen plastered on the side of a formula car for the first time ever. So you could see that being very portable to Lamborghini and therefore the Audi R8 platform. I mean, if you look at the Countach, the Everybody jokes about its little 33 horsepower electric motor, which is worthy of joking about. It's capacitor based and not lithium, you know? So that, I mean, that that's kind of the whole point of, I mean, when, and you'd have to think in racing that kind of situation, it, it's not going to be a battery based type system because that's going to be too much weight for something like right. F1. So I think that could be very portable for both Lamborghini and Audi from that perspective, which is, you know, which is very cool and possibly even Porsche not to lead into the next topic, but uh, I mean, we're absolutely going to. And as our <laughs> Porsche aficionado on this particular episode, let's jump into it. Let's talk about the 718 and the Mission R as they're calling it. It's super cool. I mean, you want a thousand horsepower Cayman? Like who doesn't want a thousand horsepower Cayman? Everybody oh. with a 911 doesn't want a thousand horsepower Cayman. Any self-respecting person with a 911 wants a thousand horsepower Cayman, I think. You know, they'd be disappointed to be embarrassed by one. They'd want to buy one, I think. It's obviously race only. They're setting up what, like the single make race series. It's totally badass. I mean, I'm a little biased. I obviously am a big Porsche fan, but I mean, the car looks badass. The wheels are unfortunate, but hey, aerodynamics. <laughs> You know, the car is totally badass. You can see the tech coming out of that translating into the all electric 718 that they announced. So, I mean, these two things are very complimentary. They're making a one make 718 race series. They're making an all electric 718. And so you can see the technology being extremely portable. The gauntlet is going to kind of be laid down for any 718 Turbo S, what GT2 versions that they come out with for this electric version. Everyone's going to know what the R can do because the R came out first. So you have this crazy benchmark to go up against, which is insane. A couple of the data points that I thought were interesting to talk about that all electric 718 was their weight target, quote unquote, only 3,650 pounds. Oh, uh, God. It's portly for a Cayman, that's for sure. But as far as uh, all electric cars go, it's lightweight. It's very light. Yeah. I mean, short of like, you know, that little Volkswagen we were just looking at some kind of postage stamp of a car. I thought it was interesting. You know, they were very transparent. The most important 718 buyer is a 31-year-old man in China. I'm like, that's pretty good age to be buying your first brand new Porsche. They're more worried about price, weight, and performance than they are range. And so they have a relatively modest range target of 250 miles. For a race car, that's pretty good. The other yeah. thing I'll say about this, I, I'm in total agreement about these wheels. They are just atrocious. But the styling of this, especially in the race trim, big wings and, and all that kind of stuff and splitters and, and canards and whatnot. I really like this. Like, Quite I don't look at this and go, that's a Cayman. I look at this and go, that's something special. It's something different. It doesn't look like any other Porsche. It's not an evolution of something else. I mean, I guess it retains... 
the windshield and maybe the A pillar and, and some of the silhouette of a, of a Cayman, but I, I just don't see it. It's a badass. It's, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger of, of Caymans. It's, it's totally buff in its prime. It's like, this is, this is cool. I'm really shocked though, politically that Porsche would allow something like this to even be built. And I kind of understand why it's being targeted to a specific cup series where they're running against each other. Because like you alluded to at the beginning, you don't want to embarrass the 911. The 911 is the flagship, just like when the 914s came out, 944 turbos and other cars where they were like, oh, they're just good enough to be better. Then they find a way to neuter them, put a dorky motor in them so they can barely perform or something like that, because they never want to show up the flagship car. And I feel like this is in that same weird area where it's like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. We're going to hamper it. And then when finally a privateer gets their hands on it and, you know, finds a way to fit it into a class, whether it be an IMSA or WEC or something like that, then I really want to know how this car stacks up against the venerable 911. It is interesting. Porsche's had these moments in their history you know, everybody loves to tell the story about the 928 and there was like, oh, you know, this is when the 911 is going to end and the 928 is going to take over and blah, blah, blah. I think someone at Porsche said, you know, 911s for boomers. So we're not going to go hybrid. You know, it's not going to get an electric version, which is a very bold statement to make in this period of time. Of course, the buyers of the 911 aren't clamoring for an electric version, but you have to think about the future of the brand and, and the buyers that are going to be there down the road. So this may be the passing of the torch, right? Or they're sitting there and they're saying like, look, we can let them compete. I don't think an all electric 718 that's faster than a GT3 or Turbo S or whatever. I don't think the one person who buys the one is cross shopping the other. Like if you want a stupid right. fast electric sports car, you can buy a plaid or you can get a Taycan or whatever. I think it's really interesting from where they're going with the brand. Are they saying the 911 20 years from now is going to really struggle as those buyers start to age out? They never went electric. They never catered. And the 17 takes over. I mean, it's, it's, well, and if you look at it from, one of those things. And if you look at it from a motorsport perspective, you know, we joke all the time that the 911 has been consistent, especially in the last, let's say, 10 years, because just like the 911 uh, GT1 from the early 2000s, the motor suddenly magically found its way towards the middle of the car. And then they said, okay, well, we're going to put it back in the back again. It's going to hang out over top of the rear wheels. And then every year, every season, it, it finds a way to just migrate forward towards the driver somehow. So I, I've always been, I have a kind of joke that it's a logical conclusion that they've been evolving a bad idea for like 60 years and they need to move away from this pendulum, this hammer that's going down the road with all that weight over the rear end. And it needs to be more of a mid-engine sports car. So you're right. Maybe it is the passing of the torch. And I'm going to continue to say that I'm very happy that the 914 <laughs> finally gets its day in the sun. Let's call it what it is. Let's call it what it is. It is a 914. Fair enough. I totally agree. I mean, it's really frustrating when Porsche makes a product for a slot in the lineup and not for what the platform is capable of. We might be able to have our cake and eat it too. I don't think this means that there isn't some RSR version of the 911 in the future and that engine gets moved forward like it has been in motorsport. Right. Can stay naturally aspirated or turboed or whatever. At least an IC component to me would be the best of both worlds. They they actually, you know, advance that forward a little bit, go follow motorsport, do what they did there and do electric and 17. 
18 or take a page out of what is it the 918s playbook you know with the la ferrari style or the nsx where the 911 still has a petrol engine in the rear like you're saying but maybe is four-wheel drive no longer turbocharged going back naturally aspirated but has that electric motor up front to help propel it and get it there so maybe a cross between this 718 and the 918 supercar yeah i mean it's not like the 918s depreciating you know there's still not a carrera gt you know (laughs) we could we could could, we could kill this whole show on this topic. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's probably good that we move on to something lighter hearted, but also keeping with the theme of staying with tradition and following through. And we mentioned Audi earlier, and obviously Volkswagen, Audi, and Porsche have been together since the very earliest days. And for those of you that don't realize that the auto union started at the turn of the century, that's the 1900s, not the 2000s. You know, there's a long pedigree there. There's a long involvement with these three families together. And it's actually two large families, the Porsche family and the Piek family, but we won't get into that whole history. If you wanna learn more about that, listen to the little Anton episode that we did during this month. But what I'm getting at here is Audi did this heritage video and it's really cool. And we're gonna include it in the show notes. And if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. It's a little bit long, but also check out the bloopers at the end because it really, really makes the film. Tanya, I know you watched it. What did you think? I was admittedly confused in the beginning. Agreed. Really wasn't sure what was happening. I was totally into it once they went vintage with all the older cars, especially the IMSA and the Rally Quattros and all that. And then seeing Stuck and whatnot in this short film, I think the one thing that was missing or the one person that was missing was Michelle Mouton. Absolutely agree with that. Because with all the legends that they were showing between cars and person, she needed to be there. A hundred percent. So I think that's unfortunate that who knows what reason why she wasn't, but I would have liked to have seen that representation. It sucks that Doug DeMiro makes the cut and she doesn't. I, I agree with you on that as well. <laughs> Freaking joke. <laughs> we need to read you on that one. Definitely have to have Michelle in there. And I will say, I agree with you. When the vintage car showed up, that's what did it for me. And a couple things were really important. I really, really enjoyed the scene between Walter Rural, Hans Stuck, and Hurley Haywood. And when Hurley stands up and he's like, you guys have been holding me up for 30 years, you know, and he's like chucking water balloons at them and stuff. i busted out laughing because it's so true. And a lot of people forget that Hurley started with the Audis, not just with Brumos Porsche, right? He ran the Audis in Trans Am. But the thing that really got me, that really pulled at the heartstrings, because it's going to be one of those moments where you read about all these celebrities now that have passed because of COVID and all this kind of thing. It's that moment where you realize Hans Stuck Jr. is driving his father's auto union, you know, 16 cylinder developed by Ferdinand Porsche senior. They pulled that car out of mothballs and used it in the film. I mean, that alone, just that scene of him driving down that wooded road, kind of leading that parade. I was like, I just stopped. It was just, it was absolutely incredible. And it it just, it just pulls at the heartstrings because you realize that's, that's a whole legacy. That's two generations in that same family of epic race car drivers and and epic cars and things like that. So I guess what I'm getting at here is if you don't know the Audi history, 
dig into it a little bit more. It's absolutely fascinating. And it's got many tributaries and rivulets that you can go down when it comes to the Volkswagen story and the Porsche story and how they're all intertwined. At the end of the day, what it really says is that they do have real enthusiasts, real fans that work there and that that have that kind of passion. And that's how every now and again, they actually come out with a really amazing product. <clears throat> like the uh, e-tron GT. They just need to lower the price tag on that thing. 100%. It wouldn't be a drive-through episode if we didn't talk about the fourth largest auto manufacturer in the world, Stellantis. And I got to call shenanigans. There's always a lot of drama, especially with, you know, Fiat and Ferrari and all these things. And you hear about it in Formula One and you hear about it in racing. They always like, well, if they're not winning, let's change the rules. It's a very, you know, FIA sort of thing to do. But this latest one is just mind bogglingly kind of idiotic. I was reading this article and it's in the show notes and it says, and I'll paraphrase it for you guys. The Italian government is in talks with the European Union to exempt supercar manufacturers from a gas engine phase out on their way to electrification. So what does that mean? They want to get out of jail free card so they can continue to build Lamborghinis and Ferraris and all these other supercars that we love and we enjoy and sound amazing without having to worry about turning them into EVs, which is kind of funny considering all these concept EV supercars that they're still kind of proposing. But I just had to laugh and I flag on the play, yellow card, get these guys off the field. I couldn't disagree more. I think it's exactly what they should do. We've got to be realistic about if we're going to claim the environment, then we have to be realistic about what's driving greenhouse emissions. And it's the quantity of meat that people eat, it's completely unregulated engines they use in the uh, naval shipping. It's not your V12 Ferrari that gets driven 1500 miles a year that still manages to be emissions compliant. Hell, we let the Elise come into the country without a passenger side airbag. God help us. You know, we did. We can, <laughs> we can pass on regulations when it makes sense. I, I, I agree. I agree. Let's I just I think it's funny. I think it's awesome. I hope they get away with it. Let's just I, if it. they could fight it and win, more power to them. I'm not saying. I'm just like I said. I just had to call shenanigans on that. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it's it's newsworthy for sure. I just hope they win. Is all. I mean, if anyone can do it, it would have to be these hyper cars that you know a hundred are sold or something, right? Because. They aren't being driven. So on the one hand, it is kind of like, what's the big deal? The reality is, is yes, everybody's moving to full electric, but will we really? Time will tell. Diesel's making a comeback. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, all those regulations that came up in California, which California has done the math on what electric, what the electric car switch will do to their grid. They're creating regulations around the power efficiency of your personal computers. They're getting hard on the electrical grid because they know that as the electrification of cars come, they do not have the capacity or anywhere near it today. And it will cost billions and billions to build. And we have no great way of really building it because we won't go nuclear, which is, you know, I don't want to open that can of worms. In Europe, there are a lot more nuclear power plants than there are in the U.S. I just know, Mark, that if you and I were being taxed on the number of computers that we have in our house, it would be a very <laughs> large bill. <laughs> if you look at my network and all the devices connected. I am surrounded by screens like the Batcave. It's insane. <laughs> but there's some other good news over in the Stellantis world. Yeah, so the Chrysler brand has named their new CEO. So it is a female, Christine Fuel, coming from a Honeywell, being their chief commercial officer. And apparently she also had a stint in global marketing with Ford. 
a decade or so ago. So she's got some interesting background and hopefully she'll bring good things to the Chrysler brand. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what Chrysler actually slaps their badge on other than the Pacifica right now. So, you know, hey, minivans, that's cool. I also, when I first saw this come across my desk, I immediately thought Lee Iacocca, right? Similar background, came from Ford, went to Chrysler twice you know, save the day. Not that Chrysler's in bad shape right now because it's part of Stellantis. I think she has the remit over Dodge too, right? What's Dodge making again? (laughs) Many Hemis that are very future-proof. I think the bigger thing is if they're naming CEO to the brand, then they have some sort of short-term strategy to say that we're going to try and revitalize this brand or try to have something other than the Pacifica or maybe the Chrysler 300 under the moniker, right? So who knows? Maybe, unfortunately, it it tanks, probably not necessarily through any fault of her own, or maybe she's able to use her past marketing and strategic roles in various companies to help create something new that we haven't seen yet from Chrysler or, or, uh, or bring back something from the past. But let's not bring back the K cars and EV. Okay. We do not need Aries EVs. I'm just going to lay it out there. It's not a good idea. They weren't well, a good off idea. the top of my head, I really can't think of what Chrysler should come back, like which Chrysler model should make like a retro <laughs> reappearance. I mean, it's interesting, like what's at the top of her list, right? Because if she's the CEO of the business unit of Chrysler, then her bigger problem is Dodge than the actual fact that Chrysler is a joke. I mean, Dodge is where they have all the volume that's also having where the most aged platform is. Reading the article, I mean, it looks like she she has the unit, which is really cool. I mean, it was called Fiat Chrysler, <laughs> not Fiat Chrysler and Dodge. I've been in their headquarters and done some projects for them in my professional life. Similar to the comment about what brought up the Audi video, tons of enthusiasts work there. I mean, like everywhere I went from vice president, executive of whatever, down to people, you know, managing relationships with the, with the dealerships, very passionate about their product, loved their Hemis, loved what they were doing. But I mean, man, all that stuff is so old. I would classify it like a turnaround strategy. Like you've really got to turn this thing around if you're going to keep the brand going forward. The Mopar stuff hasn't been bad. I mean, I think Fiat did a better job with Chrysler than Mercedes did. Now, granted to your point, they're all running around on a hundred year old, you know, C and E class chassis and all this kind of thing. We joked about that before, especially with the Challenger and the Charger. But from the aesthetics perspective, you could really tell when the Italians took over and they facelifted the Jeeps and they facelifted the Charger, which wasn't anything to write home about for quite a long time. And so they've done a good job. The Pacifica is not bad looking either. I mean, and I'm a little biased because we have one, but whatever. But it's just... But it's just, you know, they do need to do yes, something with, they do need to do something with the brand. That's for sure. And, and just, I'm just not sure what that is yet, but I'm, I'm very curious and I'm cautiously optimistic about where they're going to go. Okay. It's not to bring back the PT Cruiser nope. in, any, in any shape or form. Get out. So it's not to do that. What it could be is to bring back the Chrysler 300 sedan as a luxury Mercedes Cadillac fighter with the right styling and enhancements. Could that be a competitor in that? I agree with you there. And I'll say this, despite the early gangster style of the 300, you know, when it was revitalized in the 2000s, every one of those I've had as a rental car from the the very first reintroduced to the current ones, 
I enjoy them. They're very plush. They're nice places to live. They don't have the best motor to write home about. It's the same Pentastar that you get in the, the Dodge Caravan or whatever, unless you get the Hemi version, the, R, the RT or the SRT8 or something like that. They do need to take it a step up. To Mark's point, it's classy, but it's classy for Mercedes in like 2010. You know what I mean? At, at, at its best. And so they really do need to do something different to step it up. Apparently, though, there is a 2022 300 coming. So that is still in their lineup. What I am thinking, though, is Chrysler, if the trajectory is to kind of turn it and revitalize it, not that it's doing poorly, but the Pacifica has an advantage over the other minivans in that it's the only hybrid minivan that's out there right now. So if they take that momentum and it has been selling well and they propagate that into other Chrysler models, maybe Chrysler becomes the EV arm of Dodge Stellantis. They can use that as a jumping off point because right now they don't have anything that's really EV. And they've talked about, you know, they're sunsetting the Charger and the Challenger. We talked about that on the last episode and the plans for the future of those two cars are completely unwritten. As you know, they said it's the last hurrah for the Hemi. We don't want to see the muscle cars go away. We want to keep them around, but what are they going to do in the EV space? And I think GM's now leapfrogged Chrysler because we were joking for a long time, what's, you know, what's Chevy going to do? Ford's way ahead of them. You know, and I guess that leads us into our domestic conversation a little bit as we kind of transition into Ford and Chevy a little bit more. One of the things I discovered is we used to have the horsepower wars now we have the kilowatt wars. For a long time, resto mod and, and restoration type shops have been taking like Tesla packages and putting them in retro cars and doing the, all these kinds of things. There's a rumor of like an e-copo from GM that's coming out, but Ford has put out and has teased an EV crate engine. There's not a ton of details on this. There's a lot of schematics, a lot of really interesting stuff. The one thing that I thought was really cool is it only measures about 22 and a half inches at its longest dimension. So that's really, really compact, which means you could put it in a lot of things, be it a front wheel drive, an old type two bus, you know, whatever you want to jam this EV into. The problem is they're not telling you what the power output is. And the comparison they made in the article was, well, the Tesla makes the equivalent of 577 horsepower in this new magical number. So I'm really curious to see where that goes. The one thing the article alluded to was that we'll know more at SEMA this fall when SEMA finally happens again, you know, here post COVID. So really curious to see where that goes. I think the whole concept of getting into the parts business around this is great. Obviously the the battery becomes a more important component than the engine. And I don't know enough to know why the, the mileage per kilowatt hour is so different between like Tesla's and every other EV. It is a significant enough gap that I think it's worth mentioning. They have a huge efficiency gap there, which you have to think in the in this kind of custom space would be a real advantage if they could figure that out. Now, unfortunately, all of these plans are now beholden to shortages, changes in production, obviously COVID, chip shortage, all of that. We hope every day that this stops and every month goes by and it actually seems to get worse. What I've heard is now because of that, Ford was going to introduce a new pickup called the Maverick, which I think was a little confusing because there was a Ford Maverick 
way back when, which is actually a bit of a two-door coupe, kind of a variation on the 70s Mustang. But they decided they're going to scrap that because it was going to be built in India. And that's a $2 billion hit to Ford because they're shutting down that production. And, and you know, some of that is to due to chip shortages, due to personnel and, and labor laws and all that. And it's just sad to see. I actually really like the spy photos of this Maverick truck. I think it's pretty cool. It's more attractive than the current Ranger. I think it's a better size. I mean, the F-150's gotten huge. And the Ranger is kind of the size of the old F-150. And I, I, I hate to say it comes with some weird engine packages. Like who wants a pickup truck with a 2.3 liter turbo four cylinder? I'm like, I just don't get it. Please convince me that I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, I've heard that the you can get the V6 now, but yeah, whatever. But yeah, so this Maverick's kind of cool. Maybe it'll get built, maybe it won't, but it ain't going to get built in India. I admittedly <laughs> didn't understand the, uh, I guess, the link between the two, because apparently Ford's been in India with two plants since 1995, and it's essentially operated at a loss this entire time, which is equated to about $2 billion, as they haven't been able to pick up any market share there. So Clickbait, um, that's what it is, clickbait. They're just cutting their losses. It, it's, yes. it's the best excuse in the world. You guys said it on the show last month, that the chip shortage is the best excuse in the world to optimize your business. Hey, sorry, got to lay you off, uh, you know, chips. Hey, sorry, got to exit your country, you know, chips. Oh, hey, sorry, we got to get gotta, rid of the Camaro. Got to get chips. Yeah. chips. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, the gloves come off. They're like, hey, man, I got the best excuse in the world. No chips. Barbecue, sour cream, and onion, or what, what are we talking about here? Salt and vinegar every time. <laughs> so just like that, GM is also shutting down plants due to chips. So uh, that's all we really need to say. But I think well, a- I, I don't think it's permanent shutdown. I think it's, again, they're having to temporarily close down factories because chips. Because chips. Can we start that hashtag? <laughs> hashtag Copyright. because chips. Because chips. Chrysler got a new CEO. Because chips. Because chips. <laughs> but there is a positive coming out of this. and actually goes back to something you mentioned earlier, Tanya, about police cars and EVs. And in the UK, they are going to use the car we will not refer to as the Mustang, the Mach-E, as police vehicles. And I believe they're replacing the aging Opel Astra diesels. Police officers over there are famous for running around in. I'm really curious to see how that turns out in the UK as well. I kind of feel that compared to Germany, the Mach-E larger car considering the british roads and all that there's a lot more towns that are closer together and not massive amounts of highway obviously there's the a1 and things like that there's such different environments right you compare german and british culture like germany they deal with the legacy of the stasi and so they're you know they're not as big into cameras everywhere looking at everything all the time they have more of a kind of personal freedom bent you know hence the autobahn and so i mean in the uk like what the hell do you need a maki for (laughs) <laughs> it checks all the right boxes, I guess. For them, it's a big car. For us, we think of it as like, you know, not a large car, medium size. But for them, it's a big paddy wagon type thing where you could build a police barrier in it and throw people in the back. Put soccer and, hooligans in there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pick up your hooligans and, and toss them in the back. It's probably more of that perspective in regards to like a SUV-ish electric car. What are your other options? Well, Besides as Tanya, a as, well, as Tanya's alluded to, there's a lot of options in Europe from Renault, from Nissan, a multitude of manufacturers, Citroën, Peugeot, et cetera. Now they're under the Stellantis banner. So there's a lot of choices over there that we don't get us even on the Volkswagen side of the house. So I think it's interesting that the Maki is going to go over there. I just wonder, like, you know, we hear all the time again, because chips, 
how are they producing all of these? Or is it because they stopped producing something else and now they can suddenly start building Maquis for the UK police department? It's even more interesting because these kind of fleet sales never have good margins. Price is always a big part of the negotiation on the fleet sale. The British do love Ford. They've got their Ford rally, Cosworth heritage. So that might have been part of it. Like if you're a cop, do you want to be driving around in some French electric turd or would you at least have something that has a prancing pony on the front of it i don't know we won't ever call a mustang on this show it still has the pony on the front maybe pinto least worst choice and you know what's funny something we don't talk about on this show very often and i think it's because there's not a ton of excitement coming out of the far east and that's jdm vehicles and we've actually found a collection this month of vehicles that we can talk about we do need to revisit one from last month So what if I said Integra, the spy photos, the renderings are out. What do we think? Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't say Honda Accord. I thought it was a really cool looking two-door Civic. (sighs) This alleged 2023 Acura Integra. Let's ignore the name for right now and look at the photo. This is a very handsome two-door Acura. Very Very handsome. handsome. Yes. Does it have anything to do with an Integra? Zero. No. I guess maybe I'm a little lost. I had an Integra as a kid. I love Integras. I ask a question: Why this? Why does this have nothing to do with an Integra? Like, I mean, Integra is just a little, a little Acura. I mean, other than it being two doors, I'm very sensitive to. If you're going to reuse the name, then I want it to be more reminiscent of the car's Mm. namesake. And I don't see. If you had just shown this to me, I would have been like, "Oh, look." The you new TSX. Even, it's a two-door and it's quite handsome and I like it very much and, and look forward to seeing it on the road. But I never would have said, oh, it's an Acura Integra or an RSX was supposed to be the next Integra. I mean, the, the front headlights are a little rectangular, like the Integra up until I don't remember the designations, unfortunately, because it's not German. <laughs> it's the one I drove. It was like a 94. It was before they went to the round headlights and after it was yes. super boxy. That kind of early mid nineties Integra. I could see the front end a little bit there. Obviously not the aggressive air scoops and everything underneath. Maybe I'm stretching, but I feel like that headlight line a little bit. But the other rendering, the black one from the artist, not from Honda, that one looks more like the Integra you're talking about. If you kind of scroll down through that article, and if you're listening to this, you know, check it out in the show notes. That one is more reminiscent of an Integra to me than the orange, the the copper car that they're showing. Exactly. So at at the bottom, there's recommended stories. And the middle one there is, you know, someone's rendering. Oh, yeah. That one. That that screams to me Integra RSX. And that is a car that needs to be built. A thousand percent. Yes, absolutely. Going back to the Copper Integra, because it's the one they will probably build. Am I crazy or like, look at the stance and the setup, kind of the geometry of the back of that car. It doesn't have that weird civic. Humpty Dumpty thing going on. Yeah. Like it actually looks like it might have some suspension in the back that could move. That would be nice. I mean, the new Civic Type R turbo, (laughs) whatever the heck it is, making umpteen trillion horsepower now. That's got IRS. I mean, the Hondas have had IRS for a while. I mean, I've ridden in one. They're fantastic. They're a little big compared to what I grew up with 
and what you grew up with as Civics and Integras, which were small, compact GTI size cars. Now they're kind of huge. And we've joked before, you look at this and you're like, man, that's a really cool two-door Accord. But now (laughs) the Accord is massive. It's like, you know, the size of an Avalon, like a Buick. It's just just huge. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's a coming of age thing. The cars get bigger, we get older, you know, whatever. But I I guess I'm with Tanya. I want to see it in person. Cause again, like we said earlier, sometimes photos are deceiving and renderings too, to Mark's point, you got to get a banana for scale. So you don't really know like where things are at and what it's going to measure out as. Now, if this is a reskinned type R civic, I'm very interested because it is a performer. And I tell you what, those cars out of the box, turnkey on track on street tires are phenomenally good with a slightly better physique. I'm very, very interested in checking it out. Hopefully the price point won't be something astronomical, but get ready, folks, get ready. A new Skyline is coming. It's going to have four doors and it might be an SUV. Can I, can I throw up on air? (laughs) A little bit in the back of your throat. Yeah. I mean, you can surely make the noise. We'll understand. (laughs) Again, going back to names, if it isn't, well, it's for a GTR. The, don't put a Skyline badge on it. I mean, I'm very annoyed by the Mustang Mach-E. Let's not call that thing a Mustang, all right? Can we not? So, I mean, this is the same thing. Like, a Skyline is not an SUV, so let's just stop. To go backwards a little bit, you wait till the Chrysler 300 is an SUV, the next one that comes out. <laughs> That's like the Ford Taurus, the Ford Taurus SUV. The Ford Taurus SUV. Isn't there also like the Mitsubishi Lancer SUV or something? Yeah, it's ridiculous There's an Eclipse SUV. It's like, no. It's so wrong. So wrong. What gets me about this car is I look at it and I just see a QX50. And I'm like, come on, guys, you could do better than this. Just slap some badges on an existing Infinity and pass it off as something else. I'm, I'm sorry. This doesn't cut the mustard. And you wonder why we don't well, talk about Japanese cars. I mean, so so to be fair, the Skyline wasn't the GTR, although a lot of people- Yes, it, the GTR is a trim package. The, 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 the Skyline the was, was kind of a luxury version. I mean, Nissan's version of it. They never brought it over here, but- so it's like, okay, you know, uh, I, I never understood that market segment. That's where that market segment is. But if you try to make that a GTR and bring it over here, I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to make fun of anybody who does. So there. Pretty much. But let's switch gears a little bit. So a little bit of tease to the motorsports world. 2022, the GR, the Gazoo Racing version of the 86, the new one that's out is going to be the official pace car for NASA. That's not the rockets and satellites. That's the National Auto Sport Association Championships in September of 22. So looking forward to that. I like the kind of paint rendering scheme they're going to do on the car. We talked about the new GR86 a couple months ago versus the new BRZ. They've done a facelift on them. I'm not convinced that they're not the same car still. I still think they need a turbo. I still think a lot of things need to happen with that platform because it is the Japanese 944. As I've said many, many times, they are phenomenal cars on track. They are a lot of fun. I wouldn't throw one away if you gave one to me, you know, I'd run the hell out of it, but it's kind of cool to see that NASA has chosen the 86 as their, uh, as their pace car. Since we're talking about Subaru, let's just go straight for the throat on this one. What do we think about the new WRX? All right, we're going to skip the whole pace car conversation. We'll go straight to the I mean, what is there to say, right? We got to get to this WRX. I mean, I was surprised it could go fast enough to do the job. Fair enough. No, I mean, the WRX. At first, especially in thumbnail, I thought it was a Civic. Right? (laughs) I think the entire interwebs thought it was the new Civic, and we were all being punked by Aston Kutcher. I just, I don't get it. Is it the legacy? 
Is it the Impreza? What is this thing? I don't know, but the internet is very upset by those plastic cladding around the fenders. But yeah, because it takes a round fender and makes it angular like a Lamborghini. Like, what is that? It's well, there's, rally. there's also, there's so also rally. no reason to have plastic cladding on the fenders of a WRX. But rally, bro. But, but rally. no, this rock isn't, chips. This isn't rock an chips. STI. This is just rock a chips. WRX regular. Is that still because chips? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because chips, just just rock chips. By the way, is copper the new color for Japan? You know, this is like Volvo from 1999 and the C70. No, like, no. what is this? The Acura was a nice marigold. This is <laughs> this is like a, a a tangerine. Is that the official color of Honda marigold? <laughs> the only thing I like about this are the rear taillights. I actually kind of like that, but to your point, they look like they're off of a. It's a little like a Civic. Especially the, the taillights are the most civic looking. <laughs> I like those. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's a fair reason to like it. The article title said it all, right? Cosplaying a civic. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, right? I'm from the VW world. I'm a dubber through and through. Call me a boomer. I don't care. I grew up in a different era. Mark II GTI is freaking awesome, right? And when you see one, you go, that's cool. Those cars were just, they were badass. They were hella dope. The Subarus had their time too, where in the early days of like Colin McRae rally and things like that, those early Imprezas, the 22B, you know, those kind of cars, they're amazing. And they have a cult following, but just like the Volkswagens, they've strayed away from the originalness, the uniqueness, and that grassroots enthusiasm and the people that are behind it. And so, yes, your point, this is a big old bloaty sedan and it's kind of, man, the, the specs suck. It's three extra horsepower for the previous one. Kudos, it's got a six-speed manual. God bless Subaru for keeping the manual around. I got to give them props for that. Go back to your roots. Give us another 22B. Give us something that we that we want, that we'd be interested in. I mean, granted, I, I don't want a flat four, but that this discussion for another day. I just think this is the wrong direction. I mean, I do appreciate how the Japanese auto manufacturers have just like noped out of the horsepower wars. They're just like, no, nah, it's it's good. It has it's like Rolls Royce. Power is sufficient. I don't know. I mean, I guess because Lexus gave everything a really big grill, they need a hood scoop to look aggressive. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. They need to put the hood scoop in because then you wouldn't discern this from the look, legacy. If, if you're if you're a if you're a soccer dad in the northeast and you make whatever 70 80 grand a year you're gonna uh, buy an outback you're, you're not gonna buy this thing <laughs> i know a lot of guys that have bought these things they've been horrible for a long time right i mean that wasn't one or two generations ago these platforms have been bloated and and tough for a little while now yeah they'll, they'll get a non-stiwrx why why because it's better than the outback legacy i don't know i mean i'm I'd struggling here i just or a malibu i think at this no. point <laughs> i work i work with, i work with these guys and they're they're all in rochester new york they all drive subarus you know in case they're listening to this i love you all i don't know why you make the car choices that you do but they will probably buy this what mark's saying is you live in a place that snows buy an audi get on with it <laughs> Speaking of, you know, Asian cars and the Asian market and whatnot, another brand that we just don't talk about because they haven't produced anything that really gets us excited in a long time is Hyundai and Kia, right? They're both the same company for the folks that don't know. It's the same company, different badges. 
I happened to see a brand new Tucson on the road the other day. And I know this is not the kind of car we generally talk about on this show, but like Conversation Street on the Grand Tour, we want to talk about like the Dacia Sandero of the US. So we have the Hyundai Tucson. At first, I thought it was a Mach-E and I got super excited. And then I realized actually the back is even more aggressive than the Mach-E. And I like it. I like those lights. I like those, you know, carved in three LEDs on each side. I thought it was really cool. And I'm in traffic with it. I was in a different lane. So I pulled ahead. I got to see the front of it. I hadn't seen the side yet. So I saw the front of it. And it has these really interesting LED pyramid lights, albeit super expensive because it feels like it's like a 50 pieces of Lego that you got to put together. And if you break one of them, the whole thing has to come apart, but it looked really cool. It was like, this is kind of futuristic, really kind of angular and whatnot. And then I saw the silhouette and oh my God, who the hell designed this? Were they from the original Star Fox team from like the SNES days? Because it is all polygons and like weird angles. Like it looks like it's already been in a digital accident on Forza. Like I don't understand the design of this car. Like it makes it was transposed no into two dimensions and then brought back into the real world. Oh, somebody did like a pinch on their phone, like when they were designing this. I mean, it makes no sense at all when you see it in profile. But from the front and from the back, you're like, that's pretty cool. But what really took it home for me, please somebody explain it to me. What's up with the new Kia logo? I've not seen the logo. It's this wacko kind of K and it looks like a backwards N. And I thought it was like something from like Mass Effect where it's like N7 or, you know, like like that whole thing, like the Normandy. But instead they've redesigned their logo too to go with this whole angular thing they have going on with the Tucson. And now I've seen it on the latest like version of the Telluride, other models that they have. And I'm like, I don't understand. I just pulled up the pictures of the Telluride. Holy shit. That's polarizing. Um, that's, I mean, you know, you got to give them credit since when did automakers get so edgy? It's like, they're in a competition with each other. Exactly. I'm going to make, I'm going to make a grill bigger than you. I'm going to make a logo that looks like a throwing star weapon. Those Kia and Hyundai, like that Telluride, those Tucson's like, if you've got a three, four year old kid, you're picking up from your little preschool, man, you see a ton of those. And absolutely, I've, I've talked to some people like they were selling those at MSRP a year or two ago before COVID, before the chip shortage, where it because was like, chips. Yeah, no, I'm saying before, because chips, they were selling those cars at MSRP without discount. People were buying them like, on, like they were so popular in that parent crowd. Yeah. People and they were, were all like, powered uh, by 1.6 liter turbos copying after Mini Cooper, which I didn't understand. We actually went and test drove one when we were shopping around. We were, when we got the Pacifica instead and I was surprised how peppy it was for as big as the cars are, but I'm still like, I don't know, longevity of a high strung four cylinder turbo in a vehicle that big. Just ah, no, thank you. I'll I'll take my Torquems. Yeah. So I would clarify an earlier statement you made at the very beginning that there's nothing exciting coming out of Hyundai slash Kia, whatever. I don't think that's true. Besides the Stinger, of course. Fine. But Hyundai, we talked about already a while ago, their electric vehicle brand the ionique they actually have some pretty cool cars in that lineup that are coming out well when with the press releases come out we're gonna talk about them because we want to address and talk more about jdms and the asian market as well and the cars that they're developing it's just they got they got to get your attention right i mean i mean we have the, the ionique 5 we had a member have a sighting of one that was in camouflage and we're pretty sure that that's right it was the ionique 5 so and it's on our instagram so you can go back and check it out 
So that car is supposed to be coming into production here here soon. We'll follow up on that. And obviously they did the Pony EV, which we thought was really cool. That retro uh, resto mod that they they put together. So we'll see what happens. And, and you're right. The Stinger is pretty cool. I wish that car had a manual. I'd love to see a new Genesis come out, like something different. That 3.8 Genesis, the last one they had, though it was a bit bloaty, they were a lot of fun on track. I got to ride in one and, and I thought that was fantastic. And I mentioned on a previous episode, I got to coach in a Veloster N, which was one of the cars on my list, oddly enough, that I wanted to ride in and I wanted to coach in. And I've said it before, it's the best GTI that was ever built in Korea. It's a fantastic car overall. So hats off to Hyundai. I just feel like they're the dark horse right now, a little bit understated. You know, we need something flashy. I just think it would be cool. Hyundai supercar, right? Or Hyundai super EV or something like that. Really kind of bust the news out and be at the front page and not just Integra. I think we got to move on a little bit to Brad's favorite section, Lost and Found, which also encompasses all of our historical stuff. And I have to start this month off with just something that boggles my mind. And I've said this a million times, the people on Bring a Trailer, God bless all of you, you have lost your minds. (laughs) And the proof I have- You're part of the problem. Yeah, to back that statement up is a Mystic Magenta Metallic Geo Metro Convertible with 43,000 miles selling for $4,300. I wouldn't give you 43 bucks for that car. My budget is 50 for a geometric convertible. We still want one. So this, I tell you, is living proof that everybody on Bring a Trailer is insane. And you know that somebody will end up bringing that to like Chump Car or Lemons or something. <laughs> Being uh, like, no, no, it was cheap. I swear, I swear. <laughs> well, cage. Really horrible. We are still trying to find one in that color for a really good price as a gift for one of our members who is dying to get one. But when I saw that come up, I was like, ah, I've got a bid on it. No, no, no. I'm not going into this insanity. You went all the way up to $44, but then... Then you got 52 was as far as I was going on the reserve. (laughs) So that was it. In addition to that, a car that we have to add to our ugly cars list. This one I didn't know about came across my desk from, I believe, Garage Ride or Drive Tribe or one of those this month. America took a stab at the Multipla. That's a Fiat, by the way, one of the ugliest Fiats ever built, one of the ugliest cars of all time, like top five ugly cars with the Saturn CV1. Now, I'm sure you guys looked at this article and there's something I really want to hone in on, but I want to get your gut reactions on this first. Uh, It looks like something that they would have put in a future movie in the 90s. (laughs) What was the one where Sylvester Stallone, they brought him back to fight Wesley Snipes? Demolition Man. (laughs) Yes. This is what they would drive in Demolition Man right here. This is this is it. Everybody was driving around in one of no airbags, all foam. Exactly. Uh, Is vomiting still on the table? (laughs) (laughs) Looks like somebody already vomited on it. Dude, the color is atrocious. I mean, that's the one thing about cars. Colors make a big difference, especially if you're trying to introduce something radically different. I mean, stick with a navy blue or a black or a gray, you know, something a little subdued. Or or go go extreme, go red, go copper, obviously, but not puke (laughs) or clean corn. Marigold. This, this is Saturn through and through. Isn't it though? I'm liking the underhood though. That's what got me. What are Who? all these knobs? Is this like the Fisher Price Playmobil? Like boop, 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 boop. And it's going to do like <laughs> lights and sounds. It's the cozy coop. Your three-year-old can work on this thing. <laughs> it is absolutely nutty. Like I've never seen an engine compartment so clean. Even show cars 
aren't as clean as this. But yes, with all these colors and knobs, I was like, how do you work on this? And how long does it take to get to the actual motor? Wow. Are these like fluids? Like, is that what each of these like six knobs are on the side? Like I get the one on the other, on the left is a battery, negative and positive sign. But I, what the I, hell, I have no idea. The hell is the rest of this? <laughs> you know what? We're going to leave like, that. It looks like the Fisher Price car. We definitely have to leave this up to the audience's imagination and their comments. So let us know what you think about the CV1 and where it ranks on our ugly car list. A couple other pieces of historical news. This is what's mind blowing about this particular barn find. It's 175 cars and it was found in London. Now, Mark, you've been to London many times. Yeah. What, what about this doesn't compute? Barn I never, I never saw a barn. <laughs> I can't recall a barn. You know, I could think maybe if it was like an abandoned, disused church, like a lot of time the, you know, church infrastructure falls into disuse. You could park 175 cars in one of those. No, no barns, no barns that I can recall. Yeah. And my second question was, where are you going to hide 175 cars in London? That's not in a parking garage. Or one of the old warehouses. I mean, there's so much just like every city, so much gentrification as they turn the old warehouse districts into the coolest place to live or eat or whatever. As soon as they get the asbestos out of there, I would imagine it was probably some warehouse. I mean, if you look at the video, there's some really cool cars in there. It's a mixture of, you know, classic brand. British stuff, MGs, Minis, Fiats, there's Beatles in there, Type 2 buses. There's some actual like W123 Mercedes station wagons, stuff like that. I mean, it's an interesting assortment. I wouldn't say they're really classics or anything of super high value unless, you know, maybe there's a Cooper Works Mini in there with low mileage or, you know, a really early Beetle or something like that. I just was kind of perplexed when I heard 175 cars basically hidden in London. I was like, how the hell do you do that? Not so hidden in a large collection of vehicles as our friends up British Columbia, up on the transatlantic highway, the boys from Rust Valley Restorers. I don't know what's going on because as we pushed on our Instagram a while back, season three was supposed to hit. And every time I look on Amazon and I look on Netflix and I look in other places, we can't get it. History Channel's not covering it. I know it was produced by History Channel in Canada. We seem to always get the previous seasons a little bit late, and I was okay with that. And I've been following the show for a while, and I really do enjoy it. There's this article that came across my desk that they're going to be auctioning off all the cars on the property. And they actually tried to sell all the cars and the property in one go. And I'm like, well, that's really interesting. And it says deeper in the article that this auction is going to happen during season four of the show. So I'm like, wait, what? Excuse me? So I'm a little confused on how this is working. I want to see what happened in season three at this point. It was supposed to be picked up by Amazon, uh, transferring over from Netflix, all that kind of stuff. So I'm a little disappointed. Again, one of my top five restoration shows I feel really bad if this is a result of like COVID or something like that, where maybe they've they've really had to thin the herd, you know, things like that. I, I really thought the premise of this show was raw and it was very genuine. I mean, a little bit produced, but I liked it. It was different than everything else. It was different than counting cars and all these other things on TV. Because chips? <laughs> <laughs> on all these cars from the 60s? <laughs> I, How many, I, how haven't, many chips I haven't on checked I, I haven't checked out the show, but your impassioned pitch for the show tells me that I have a couple of seasons to check out. Sounds pretty cool. I mean, is it worth going up there to try and participate in the auction? It's actually done online. And they are talking about international bidders. There's no reserve on any of the cars and it's highest bidder takes whatever vehicle they're bidding on. And I'm like, 
That's pretty cool. Now, granted, of those cars, it's going to be all the one in what they call the field of dreams. So these are all project cars. There's And they go up and down the project field all the time. There's some really cool stuff out there. They did an episode where they restored an Alpine Sunbeam and they did a Ford Capri V6 swap on it, stuff like that. There's some really neat vehicles out there that could turn into something else that's really cool if you're into restoration and resto mods. A lot of muscle cars, a lot of Canadian versions of popular American muscle cars. And I highlight some of those in the articles when I reviewed the previous seasons. So if you haven't checked out Rust Valley Restorers, I highly recommend it. I recommend it to you, Mark, as well, if you got some extra cycles to burn. And I know Tanya's watched the show as well. Yes, I very much enjoyed it. And in uh, effort to help them as a plug, you can visit their website at rustbrosrestos.com. And you can actually see a lot of the cars that they have for sale currently right now they've got photographs of a bunch of them but not photographs of all of them because they have a lot of cars there you have it switching to other historical stuff something i thought was kind of fun five obsolete features in vehicles and the last cars to have them so i'm going to run through these real quick just for our listeners and if you're watching the behind the scenes video of the episode you get to see tanya and mark's reaction to this (laughs) did you know do you know what the last car was to have a cassette player my car (laughs) yeah right (laughs) well it would have to be a car after 2005 yes because your car is a 2005 and it has a cassette player (laughs) all right i'm not gonna make you guys guess 2010 lexus sc430 still came with a cassette player was the last car to have one wow lexus that's pretty baller i would not have said lexus Except is an SC430, maybe the ugliest car ever made. I mean, it's on our list. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, we need to put that list on our website. Like the people can just go to and we need to change it. Like the leaderboard. On, you on do, the do your own version of a cool wall. You know? hey, we, yeah, we're, I think we're going to do that. We can make that happen. All right. Last car to have pop-up headlights. It's actually a tie. Pop-up headlights. Because, you know, pop-up headlights are legit cool, right? Remember when they were. I can't think of anything right now. My head is just like Miata, Miata, Miata. So so what was after the C5 that still had pop-up headlights? Ding, 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 ding. It is the C5 Corvette. That is the last car to have pop-up headlights outside of the Lotus's Spree. I felt like it was too obvious. (laughs) 2004 was the last one. All right. The last vehicle to have a carburetor. Car, truck, help me out. Doesn't matter. All the above. This one's a tough one because you're really reaching back. Carburetors are pretty Paleozoic at this point. I mean, the the, the late 1970s. The five liter Mustang had a carburetor until like 86 or 85. Yeah. Where they finally went to fuel injection. So you're looking, what would have had a carburetor after that? All right. You ready? Yeah. Chevy square body. No, it's not. <laughs> well, those still got those still got carburetors. Everybody converts them back to carburetors. Actually, from the factory with a carburetor, the 1994 Isuzu pickup. Ah, oh, I knew it was going to be something like that. Damn it. All right. Tanya's going to love this next one. The last car to have a front bench seat. This is one of her favorite cars. It's going to be a Buick. No. <laughs> it's going to be a Buick. <laughs> No, no, the real question, I've never said, I've never said that about a viewer. No, the real question is if by favorite cars, he means cars that I hate. Yes, 100%. Because if it's cars that I hate, then it's got to be either an Impala (laughs) or or a Malibu. Which are basically the same thing. The same car. So I'm at a loss right now. 
And get this, this is pretty recent. It is, in fact, the 2013 Chevrolet Impala. It was the last vehicle to uh, have a front bench seat. Uh, <laughs> rental turds of rental turds. I've driven that turd, I think. All right. Now, for the bonus, the bonus. This is a tough one. The bonus. The last car to be produced. <laughs> I can't even get this out. The last car to be produced with a hand crank start. We know the Landy had one. That's true. That was in the 70s, though. And Matt reminds us constantly of the ultimate party trick, his hand starting his Land Rover. This is a tough one. I, I can't I can't think of anything after the 70s that would have happened. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, prob- it's probably some, for a practical reason, some kind of work vehicle where they maybe That's, they wanted to have You it. know, I, I would consider this a work vehicle. It's very utilitarian. I would almost say it's an SUV. I'll give Mark a hint because I've looked ahead because I had no idea. Yeah, I was good. I, I didn't. Think I, outside the country. <laughs> Outside the country. Outside our country. That's why this oh, was the you, bonus question. You're, you're going to give me a global challenge. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's hard. Like, like a Toyota Helix or something? You know, that's the right kind of body style. But I won't, I won't torture you anymore because even our, even our listeners are probably going, oh, my God, get it over with already. From the Russian block, the 1998 oh, Lada Neva still had a crank start. Can you believe that? Of course, a Lada. Of course, a Lada. <laughs> Because Lada. That's cheating. You can't say communist cars. (laughs) Because chips. That car does not need chips. It just has a crank start. Yeah, there's no there's no chips. Oddly enough, it runs on chips. It's got a crank start, but has fuel injection. So like wrap your head around that one for a second. (laughs) In other historical news, I just gotta read this. We don't even need to dive into it. Apparently, we have finally stopped using leaded fuel. Yes, let me repeat that. We have finally stopped using leaded fuel. Algeria has used up their last bit of stockpile in 2021. I posted this and talked about it with some of our petrol heads here at GTM, and they were laughing, saying that according to some SCCA racers, Summit Point has about 5,000 gallons of leaded 110 octane underground that's still available for use. So maybe we're not quite done with leaded fuel yet, but I just wanted to throw that out there. That's just, what were they putting it in? Like I, I don't know what runs on leaded fuel anymore. I mean, who shows up to the track with like a Hudson Hornet. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. At any rate, so switching gears, we don't talk about Swedish cars very often. No, we do not. However, who knew, although now is not the right time to be going there, but maybe in like 10 years, if you find yourself in Sturgis, South Dakota, among having bike rallies and whatnot, there is apparently a Saab Heritage Car Museum that has an extensive collection of immaculately kept classic Saabs. And one Fiat. And apparently one Fiat. (laughs) So I looked through these pictures. This is really cool. I also feel like the pictures did the museum a disservice because now I don't need to go there Mm. because I've kind of seen everything. But I also have a bigger question that needs to be answered. If this is a Saab museum, which I'm totally okay with. I mean, everybody's got their thing. Where are the jets? <laughs> well, they were born from jets. What does that mean exactly? It's a sub car museum. Oh, okay. Okay. Now we're going to qualify it. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I'm just like South Dakota of all places, but hey. Swedish 
migrants, I guess, in that area. Like uh, an, enthusi- an enthusiast. There was an enthusiast and he collected all these cars. Apparently they all run. It's a very large assortment. I'm, I'm sure the two-stroke ones are very difficult to get started just up there when it's cold. I looked at all the pictures and some of them definitely rank on my ugly car list for sure, or, or the uncool wall. Let's call it that. I'm proud of people that do stuff like this. I mean, go for it. I mean, do your passion. And if you can get them for pennies on the dollar, so be it. And I'm, I'm happy that they all run and I'm hopefully they're being driven. The Fiat still confuses me, although I still think that's the prettiest car in that whole museum. I'm the same way. I feel like particularly in this time of change with electric and I feel like when we were younger, you know, growing up in the 90s or whatever, it was more like a music culture. Like if you liked this car, then you didn't like that car. I feel like a more broadly inclusive automotive enthusiast culture is kind of what we need if we want this uh, hobby to survive. Absolutely. It, so yeah, man, you do you. Very proud of that guy. Good job. <laughs> Speaking of incredible feats and being proud of something, what about a world record holding Volvo? And what do I mean by that? Gentleman by the name of Gordon, who has long passed away, his Volvo continues to live on. I think we talked about this car on a previous episode. The odometer has now turned over 3 million miles. It is a P1800 as seen in the original Saint. Uh, for those of you that are old enough to remember that show, not the movie with Val Kilmer. I think this is epic. This is really cool to see a piece of European engineering still on the road, you know, 65 years later, let's call it. And with that many miles on the clock, still being enjoyed, still being driven, being maintained. And I think what it is above all, outside of being record-breaking whatnot, is a testament to maintenance. If you do your regular maintenance intervals, you keep track of things and you don't let cars sit, then they will literally run forever. It says that it has the original engine intact at 3 million miles. Caveat, it did have two engine rebuilds across 3 million miles and two paint jobs. Otherwise, the car is original. Can you imagine? You know, there's that Greek, I don't know what you want to call it, legend story, the ship of Theseus. Yes. The Volvo is definitely the ship of Theseus. It's definitely the ship of Theseus. There ever was one. Everything has been replaced by the, maybe not everything. The enemy in that situation has to be rust. Absolutely. Right? Like you can fix things that break fine, but like preventing the car from completely falling apart, that has to take a lot of consistent diligence in regards to how the car is maintained. It reminds me of cars that I've seen get sold by people or be abandoned by people where it's like, I didn't want to put the money in it to keep it going. And it was something dumb, like, oh, I needed to change the the lock cylinder. I need to change the spark plugs. And I just decided I'm going to go buy a new car. And I feel for those cars. Maybe I'm, I'm impassioned for these inanimate objects, right? I, I, I personify them in some way. It's just like, if you do that little bit of maintenance, you put up that little bit of money up front, how many more miles could you have gone? How, how much longer could you have stretched your dollar? This Volvo owes Gordon, even though he's passed away, it owes him nothing at this point. I mean, can you imagine buying this car new in the 1960s and it's still on the road today? Day. For $4,150 was the sticker price. Convert that to today's dollars. That was a 1966. That was yeah. a it fair, it fair chunk of change. It doesn't matter. It went over 3 million miles. I don't care if it was a 20 grand car. I mean, that like, holy moly. And it's probably worth more than what's been sunk into it now because it's still a running, driving P1800, which they didn't make a ton of those cars anyway. That was the sporty two-door Volvo sports coupe. 
beautiful car. I really like those. I'd, I'd love to drive one. If somebody's got that one out there, I'd, I'd love to get the behind the wheel of yet another one of my heroes and be completely disappointed. But that's not the point. It's just, it's a testament to doing the maintenance, putting in just a little bit of effort and, and taking care of cars and not abusing them. They're not appliances. They'll, they'll last you forever. Yeah. That's $40,000 in current value. I just jumped on the uh, CPI inflation calculator. There you go. That's not bad. Three million miles for 40 grand in 1966. Mark, we got to wrap up this because chips. Because chips, sure. Let's put a cap on it. Although we're about to get into EVs. So I don't know, maybe (laughs) not. I guess technically it happened at the end of August. But when I was kind of going through the the topic list, I thought it was worth mentioning. TSMC, which is the world's probably largest silicon foundry, they announced a price increase of 20%. And it just goes to show kind of the longevity of this challenge. Your more profitable devices, the more profitable uses of that silicon are going to absorb that 20% and keep on chugging, right? Your iPhones, your consumer graphics cards, you know, your like whatever, those kind of things that have, you know, your higher retail margins. Where in the automobile world where they're trying to buy in bulk, they're trying to buy a discount, they're trying, you know, they operate at much lower margins. It just puts them at the back of the line. They don't have the space to so easily absorb that kind of price increase. And and it does cause some, you know, broader concerns around the transitory nature of the inflation that we've been going through for the last several months. But just thought it was worth noting. It's certainly newsworthy. It's out there. I mean, there's lots of other kind of, if you want to look at the topic a little more broadly, there is certainly look at government investment in regards to opening some of these foundries in the United States. It's billions and billions of investment. There's certainly been a push in the COVID area to get our supply chain a little more consolidated and to move some of these foundries back into the United States. Now that they're all mostly automated anyway, the labor costs and things that originally moved them over there aren't as big of a deal. It certainly is going to impact the auto industry. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point. And it's also why we heard during this month that the iPhone 13 is finally debuting. And yet there's oceans of F-150s and Silverados that are sitting unfinished because they can't get chipped. So you're right, they're going to prioritize the profit margins before they prioritize, you know, sometimes the need. That's a little different. Like Apple was really smart in consolidating their supply chain. Tim Cook is not Steve Jobs. He's not a product guy, but he is a supply chain guy. And so, you know, they did the acquisitions they needed to do. And as they moved into ARM, they make all their own chips. They're not licensing anything from Qualcomm or whatever, like everybody else. And they're even getting into, you know, their own radios and stuff now. So their consolidated supply chain has really insulated them from that more broadly and the high margins of their devices, obviously. That's actually a great segue into our EV section where Tanya is going to run us through some new concepts and some upcoming news on all the EVs that are coming out here in the next couple of years. So I think we've talked on and off about Rivian, if everyone recalls uh, that EV automaker. A deposit on one of those years ago. Did you? (laughs) I did. Well, you're in luck because they finally rolled off their first production vehicle, first customer sale. Hot damn. And that puts them at the first electric pickup truck. Um, First to market. It's unclear, you know, how many sales orders they actually have fulfilled and how many more they're going to make because chips. But nonetheless, they can claim that they are the first ones to roll an electric pickup truck off the line. And I've always liked the look of the Rivian. I'm not a pickup truck person. Most people know that. 
does not fit my hashtag the lifestyle because it maintains a pickup truck look and it's a little bit futuristic, but not overly. I don't mind it. It's got that EV vibe, unlike the GoldenEye N64 Cybertruck Polygon. Polygon. <laughs> when did you get the GoldenEye? That's amazing. Star so Fox. Perfect. Oh, you, you haven't seen that meme or that clip where someone actually created one inside of a, a GoldenEye uh, ROM or whatever. That's amazing. That's awesome. And it fits in perfectly as if it was designed to be there. You so. Design this car. You have 12 triangles. Go. It's like it's like an interview question that then somebody was like, that's genius. Let's let's actually build it. You're like, no, no, this is just one of those brain teasers we use in interviews. No, no, we're doing it like animals, like make a lion out of three pieces of triangle and two squares kind of thing. You're exactly right. That's how they designed the Cybertruck. So anyway, I mean, that's the news with Rivian. So it'll be interesting to see kind of where their sales go and and how the, the company bottom line gets affected by this in other news. Speaking of Rivian, which I just came across this evening. So their plant is in normal Illinois where this rolled out, but I guess they also have some offices because I think their headquarters are actually in California, but there was somebody, company employee, test driving one in camo gear and whatnot. And the incident is being reported as driver error. Oh man. And, and, And honestly, hopefully, because that's a bad look for them as they just roll off their first production vehicles to have one be in an accident if there was any sort of, you know, self anything going on. But nonetheless, from the pictures and whatnot, the person was driving, they would have needed to negotiate kind of a right-hander, 90-degree-ish turn, missed the turn and kind of kept going straight up the curb, up the grassy hill, through bushes into a parking lot. I call that understeer normally. <laughs> At least it's got some torque, you know, and then made slammed, it through all the obstacles. And then slammed into a parked Ford Explorer. <laughs> At least the Ford could stop it. I mean, which then, which then the Ford Explorer hit a parked Mercedes that was next to it. Ah, Did the battery then burst into flame? There was no injuries. Right, it's a success. Actually, there was very little damage to the Rivian. There was significant seemingly damage to the Ford Explorer. So I'm not sure in terms of safety, what that's saying good or bad about the Rivian. Maybe it weighs 9,000 pounds like some of those other trucks we talked about. I mean, it's likely because a lot of EVs are just ridiculous in weight. But nonetheless, it's very unfortunate to hear that they've had their first accident. (laughs) That sucks. sucks. Sorry, It's like the guys that bought the Hellcats and they wrecked them 10 feet from the dealership. I mean, this is like right on par. I I mean, it really sounds like it. And if it was driver error, I could totally see, you know, this thing is capable of, you know, zero to 60 in less than whatever seconds that someone just got buck wild behind the wheel and essentially lost control, which also isn't a good look for the consumer that, but I I don't know, that's that's a problem with all the EVs, too much power. We we saw that report in Europe where that Tacan or or something where he launched it up the, the driveway. Like, it, that was pretty bad. He hit his own yeah. house with his car. It was brilliant. Something like that. You don't have the same sensation of speed. Correct. It's, it's a legit problem. They're super powerful and you don't have the same sensation of speed. There's well, a million the problem, videos of that. I think the problem is, is because the torque is instantaneous. 
rather than in a petrol engine where you build up and you can feel it, you know where the torque curve is coming on, you know at what RPM it's going to unload and all that with it. With the EV, it's like, it's, it's a light switch. It's all or nothing. Moving on to Tesla's number one rival. Yes, the Tesla fighter, if we will. So Lucid Air, apparently there's some articles that are saying that it is basically phenomenal to drive. I don't know, but the more impressive piece that has more recently come out is that the EPA has given the Lucid Air Dream a 520 mile range, which at over a hundred miles over the Model S, whatever their best Tesla version is. So holy moly, that's pretty impressive. And this thing weighs like just over 5,000 pounds. Again, not a light vehicle by any stretch of the imagination. Do you think we'd get more mileage if they made these things a little bit lighter? (sighs) I mean, that's a rhetorical question, right? This thing has apparently 1,100 some odd horsepower. So I mean, how heavy are the batteries required to make a thousand horsepower at 520 mile range or whatever, right? Or, you know, maybe at that horsepower, I think the range actually falls to like 470 something, but nonetheless, that still would be the highest ranged EV. Period, Um, yeah. And and that's quite impressive. I mean, and who isn't going to be like, oh, you want me to sacrifice 50 miles for a thousand horsepower? Okay. (laughs) And it still has 966 horsepower if you want the full 520. That's... Pretty decent last that's I checked, 966. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that's who needs that? I mean, I, I do need what is Science. this need? Hey, what is need you speak of? It's the want, the want is strong for the thousand horsepower. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. I believe it's the 2022, so it should be coming out soon coming around the corner pretty soon so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I, I thought if I recalled the history here. One of the main guys at Lucid was a former Tesla person, I believe. Yeah, so. I believe that's right. Yeah. I guess that's unfortunate that they lost him because he yep. must be doing something right. I am still not sold on the look of the Lucid Air yet. You know, whatever. We'll see it in it, person. It's unattractive. And the interior <laughs> is not that cool either. I mean, I mean, those are, per, those are personal. Those are personal preferences. I mean, Very it's true. still better looking than that Maybach thing. So. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, that that's that's called the suppository on spinners. And uh, <laughs> is that like the ballet cat or whatever that thing was? But at any rate, so I feel like this era of car manufacturing has actually brought us back a hundred years. And hear me out on this one. If you look back over like the 1920s and 1930s, there were a lot of very boutique manufacturers. You have all these crazy names like, oh, you have Oakland and obviously you have names like Packard and things like that. But it felt like everybody and their brother, literally in some cases, like the Bentley brothers were developing their own brand of car. And so there's all these little boutique manufacturers. And now they've you know, been absorbed by the big names and, and, and whatnot. But we're starting to see in the EV revolution, more boutique manufacturers coming online. And one of them came across our desk, Alpha Motors. And I'm like, who the hell is Alpha Motors? I guess Beta Motors is next, followed by Charlie Motors. I don't know. But they put out something that really got my attention. They call it the Wolf. And it's an electric pickup truck. Now I know it's on it. it. And why do we love it? Because it looks like the Toyota from Back to the Future. Yes, 100%. 100%. I would buy this pickup truck. It is awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, I have said it. A pickup it, truck that I is it has It has a range of five miles. That's I mean, look, that has got to be the least aerodynamic thing ever made. But it's hella 
cool. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It looks totally badass. I want one. I'd take that over Rivian. Yes, yes, I would. I would. I would take that over Rivian. That thing is sick. And if you don't know what we're talking about, check out the show notes. All the information is there. The pictures are. There's pictures from every angle, and it looks good from every angle. It is that classic Toyota Forerunner style, like you're used to on Back to the Future. It, it, it's a three box with big flared fenders and big knobby tires. It looks badass. What else yeah. do you need? Yeah. What we don't need though is our next car. Oh my! And our next car is. Unclear what its name is, but apparently it's made by Opal and its name is Rocks E. Like a boulder, like a rock rock? Like rocks as in the things you step on, dash E. Is this the Roxy or the Amy EV? Maybe it's both. Like they, it has, they had a baby or something because this thing is weird looking. It, it has a uh, whopping 5.5 kilowatt hour battery. That's like a laptop, right? It's Opal's. Oh, okay, here we go. So Citroen has what is called the Amy. A-M-I. The Ami. The Ami. Sorry. The, the friend. The Ami EV. So Opal's version is the Rocks E. And it's about the size of a Power Wheels. Yeah, this is, a, this is a Power Wheels with a roll cage. This is a joke. Like, it's a smart car. And then I don't know what happened to that smart car. It was in an accident or something. I mean, the seating position alone, the dashboard, just the interior cockpit would turn me away from the car outside of its overall aesthetics, just being ultra French. But it's just like, I would be uncomfortable in this thing from the word go. On the cobbled streets of Europe in some medieval city, I'm sure it's totally fine. In America, you will die. 100%. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Book service announcement. (laughs) Spare yourself. This one is because chips. It's not coming to America. (laughs) We won't see this one in America. But um, there's another boutique manufacturer. They're known as Cupra. And they have what they're calling the Urban Rebel. And so they developed a concept, which is essentially an electric hot hatch. And I can't honestly say that I hate it because it is definitely the epitome of hot hatch. Like Fast and the Furious hot hatch. I've got one of these in Grand Theft Auto. Exactly. Like it's something from like Need for Speed Underground where you go into the garage and you put all your ground effects lights on it. You know, all that stuff. It's like wheels. It's the scene from Cars when where... you buy every possible accessory. Those look like the wheels from that 718. Actually, the nose does too. Here's my take on this. First of all, you had me at Cupra because I immediately started thinking about the Seats, which for folks that don't know what Seat is, it's the Spanish arm of Volkswagen. They've had the Cupra, which is the Leon, is a Leon, which is basically a GTI. The Cupra R's are fantastic cars. They're they're a lot of fun. They're they're actually in some respects more powerful than the GTIs that we get here in the states. But they'll never bring them, but that's okay. What killed me on this article? It's Jalopnik, right? So it's the typical kind of clickbait, and they go, and I'm going to read this verbatim. The Cupra Urban Rebel concept is the electric hot hatch the world needs right now, in my best William Shatner impression. And I said, hell no. What the world needs right now is the GR Yaris. I'm standing up for Tanya on this one. Scrap this turd. Bring over something that already exists that we already want. I don't need a boutique car. We need the GR Yaris. We've said this a thousand times. This is not what the world needs. Yeah, but this is apples and oranges. The GR Yaris is a petrol car. Electric GR Yaris. We still need the GR Yaris. 
we do still need a GRERs, but it's on a totally different level, I think. If any other manufacturer that we recognize badged this, we'd be having a different conversation. Yes, because we don't know who these folks are. They could be a skunk works for Sayat, for all we know. Maybe they aren't. It's At least it's not a lot of... <laughs> like we mentioned earlier who knows we'll keep an eye on it maybe it'll come to nothing maybe it's just a rendering i mean it's a concept car so only time will tell speaking of concepts that aren't concepts that are actually resto mods we bring them up every month because there's been some really cool ones we talked about the e-legend which was an homage to the original Audi Quattro. We talked about Morgans being redone as EVs, Alfa Romeos, Opal Mantas, all sorts of really cool stuff. There's now a company that's doing a short wheelbase Ferrari 250 remake, and it is absolutely gorgeous. Company by the name of RML, not a ton of details. You can check out the pictures and salivate over them via our show notes, but really cool. I like that more of this is happening. I am a huge proponent for this style of EV and this style of just car design in general. Bring back classic designs that people will buy hand over fist. Good Lord, that hits you right in the feels. Man, that is gorgeous. Even in the white, which the Ferraris never came in, it's just, it is just beautiful, beautiful car. How they're able to do that without Ferrari breathing down their neck is beyond me, but. Wow, that is gorgeous. Jeez. I'm just, I'm like, I'm in awe. <laughs> well, I guess it's time to transition and we'd be remiss if it wasn't a drive through episode where we didn't talk about. Tesla. That was your best Siri voice yet. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. I tried. Tesla. So what, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a quiet month for Tesla in a way. I mean, the Cybertruck's still delayed. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. The little Roadster, who knows? It's still floating in space. Hashtag because uh, chips. However, they're still dealing with a little teeny problem with their autopilot and the autopilot hitting... <laughs> parked emergency vehicles, particularly police cars. And yet again, another Tesla that is not fully self-autonomous, even though they think it is, sideswiped the police car, nearly hit the police officer, who I think at the time happened to be getting out of the car. So thankfully he wasn't killed or severely injured, but it's just adding to the list for the NHTSA to investigate what the heck is going on where the cars are seemingly getting very confused with the combination of it's always happening in like low light settings. So this was like early morning. So it was still dark outside and it's seemingly like darkness plus the flashing of the emergency vehicle lights is just, it's like a a fly to the electric bug zapper. (laughs) 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 And they're just, they're just going, they're just going. And, you know, again, the morons offense or no offense, I don't care because you're not paying attention. What are you doing that you're letting your car sideswipe a parked vehicle? I'm just going to leave it there. I can't believe I'm falling in the role of Tesla apologist. I'm definitely not one, but it doesn't make national news when anybody else sideswipes a cop that's pulled over on the side of the road. And usually they don't pull over very far. Sometimes they do that defensively to try and protect the car in front of them. They hang their ass out over the line or whatever to 
Right. Know. And in a lot of states, it's illegal for you to stay in the lane adjacent Correct. to the pulled over emergency vehicle. And if you cannot exit that lane, you have to reduce your speed by like 50% or something. They do definitely need to program something into their autonomy that would move the car in the opposite direction, not towards the yeah, lane. But then it would just sideswipe the car in the lane next to them. So what difference fair, is it? Fair, fair enough, but it doesn't make national news when a Ford Escape does it, right? I think the problem is it's not it's not so much Tesla, it's so much that it's always the car is in self-driving mode. That's, That's the, the always problem. the common denominator. Yeah. Because if it was just like, oh, dumbass Tesla driver was driving and texting and they sideswiped a car. Yes, that's no different than Ford Explorer driver dumbass was texting, <laughs> sideswiped car car. You know, when you're somebody like Tesla that's claiming how awesome their self-driving capabilities are and they're fully autonomous, you're putting a target on your back. And you're making it such that you're going to be the attention of every little thing that happens because you're claiming you're something that you really aren't. See, Mark, this is the lesson we all learn about the drive-through. Remember I mentioned in our, in our pre-session, we just don't go there with the Tesla. You let Tanya do her thing. <laughs> <laughs> you let her rant, let her get it out of her system. <laughs> It's like, I haven't heard the actual empirical argument yet. It's pretty simple. Insurance companies insure all these different cars. How many payouts do they make relative to mild driven on these cars? Autonomous driving, no autonomous driving. Is it doing better or worse than other expensive sedan? I haven't seen anybody release that data set. I don't know that. I mean, obviously they have the data. They absolutely have the data. You know, I haven't seen any any news around that. I mean, certainly, what do they call it? Autonomous level three or whatever. It's it's a very dangerous point where it's it's hard for human. To, it's hard to have the discipline to pay attention. It really is. So you either turn it off, so you have to pay attention all the time, or you try to have the discipline to pay attention the entire time while you're also kind of screwing around, because what else are you going to do? I was going to say it's called driving, but I mean, I'm not going to open that can of worms. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you that we don't have the numbers, and there's a lot of unsubstantiated claims that just say that there's far less accidents with, you know, these self-driving, this, that, and the other, and all these nannies and aides that lane assist and all that stuff. And and then that might be very true, because I do think there is a subset of the population that is incapable of clearly keeping their focus on a single task at hand, which would be driving. And some of these aids are beneficial to the people around them to keep them safe. But I just get very annoyed by- I love the way you worded that. Right? That was awesome. (laughs) Are you a lawyer? I have no idea what you want to like. That was very, that was very specific wording. I just get irritated by the the ignorance or arrogance of people of the self-driving. Like, stop calling it fully autonomous. It's not. We're not there yet. It does not exist. It's full autonomous is called a monorail. It's something like a roller coaster where the thing is tied to a track. That is full autonomous. But we're not yet at a point where we can just take a nap in the driver's seat, roll the seat back, put on Netflix and chill and not kill somebody going down the road. It's two o'clock in the morning and you're on a country road and you want to go risk your life and drive off a cliff or into a tree, by all means, live your best life for as long as you can. I don't know. Don't put other people's lives unnecessarily in danger. And and maybe one day we'll get there, but we're not. And yeah, you know, it's only like 11 accidents in the grand scheme. Sure. But it's a black eye in the whole autonomous vehicle thing. And I hate the way that they face the market with it, where it's like if they were just going to the market where they're like, yeah, accidents are happening. 
and they do happen. They will happen. And pay attention, assholes. Hang uh, up and drive. You know, use the future responsibly. But instead, they react so defensively and so aggressively against yes. whoever bat you know whoever raises concerns like hey there appears to be a pattern to these accidents if they were more just transparent about the challenges with the current software exactly. i think they would get a lot further i, I, I want to say this and i don't want to belabor the point but the one thing that i take from all this is i approach it the opposite way you know i was jokingly saying hang up and drive you talked about you know being respectful of the future and the technology and stuff like that when i look at driving i think about the era in which we came up as drivers again petrol heads of a certain age we were the last of the analog generation so we didn't have a lot of tech but we were early adopters of technology but i see driving still as a freedom as a privilege things like that and i don't want to get into that debate but what i also see it as is that moment, those 20 minutes, those 40 minutes, whatever it might be, where I get to disconnect from the grid. I don't have to think about work. I don't want to answer emails. I don't want to see your text message. I just want to turn on the radio, you know, my mixtape cruising in my 5.0 with my carburetor and my hand crank and get where I'm going and just have a moment of decompression and driving gives you that opportunity. So think about it that way. Disconnect for just a moment, even if it's to go to the local target or drop your kid off at school, put the phone down and just focus on driving. It actually, driving becomes very much second nature and you do relax. It's it's not a high stress thing as long as you're situationally aware. We talk about that a lot in racing, keeping your eyes up and just being aware of what's going on. But you do kind of let the rest of the world fade to gray. And it's a moment of clarity that I don't think we can get or harvest in a lot of other ways these days. Unfortunately, we could tangent on the, on that train of thought for a long time because I flat out, there's people that have said they just hate to drive. So that for a person that just does not want to drive or be positive I, with it- Then get an you're, Uber, you're, right? You're not, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna sell them on it. It's their moment to disconnect because they don't want to disconnect. They don't even want to be behind the wheel. Like I if they you. could have somebody else driving them, they would, right? So yeah. and that's, for those people, yeah, self-driving when it actually happens will be wonderful. So let's, uh, let's switch gears. We've hit on this already a couple times. Electric cars and police cars, and apparently West Virginia, um, yeah. the city of Nitro, West Ooh. Virginia. I didn't know such a city existed. What a fancy name! Which is near Charleston for those who are geographically not challenged for West Virginia. Has bought a Tesla th- Model Three to be used as a police cruiser. <laughs> Hold on, I got questions. I got questions. And they spent an additional ten thousand on top of the forty thousand to buy it. To outfit it with the light sirens and additional police equipment. Whoa, 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 so wait, not wait. the sport model then. None of that is important based on the previous topic we were just talking about. We have a Tesla that's a police car with lights and sirens, and we're going to use it on patrol day, night, weather withstanding. Does it just like implode? <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> the second autopilot's engaged. It actually collapses in on itself in in like a black hole and it just, it disappears. (laughs) And the police officer becomes like quantum leap. (laughs) It's it's all downhill from there. (laughs) He now goes backwards in time to right history's wrongs. Oh my goodness. I think that's all we need to say about that. I just, let's follow this and see where it goes and how long this car actually lasts. I mean, my biggest question with all these electric police cars, and and I believe we're going to hit on on this topic actually later, what do you do in a high-speed chase? Like if you're outrunning the cop, I mean, you probably could get away with it now because you only got to outlast the battery charge. (laughs) 
And I tell you what, a, a Tesla at full tilt, I've done this on track and I wrote an article about it. It doesn't last a half an hour at wide open. We'll call it wide open throttle. Well, then you got to consider the battery was probably not fully charged to begin with. Ding, 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 ding. I mean, you can't outrun Motorola. I'm not condoning any of this, but no, you can I'm outrun not those you, batteries. I'm not saying you should outrun the cops, but we know it happens. It'll be a Florida man story coming up. I mean, it's fine. It'll be a West Virginia man. The last bit of Tesla news is interesting and not necessarily indicative of anything. Electric.co, they issued an article that says Tesla obtains patent on its wild idea to use lasers as windshield wipers. And there's just so much here one could unpack. This is definitely Austin Powers, like sharks with freaking lasers on their head. Exactly. And <laughs> they need to put one of those sharks like a like it's a windshield wiper. Yes. <laughs> it, it's all very confusing. And the take that it could just be that they came up with this idea and they're patenting it because that's what you do. If you think you have an idea, put a patent on it so nobody else can take it. And you might not yet know what you're actually going to use it for. But they framed it in this manner that really makes no sense. Talk about it specifically for debris on your windshield. So think dead bug, mud, bird doo-doo, if you will. I see it all falling apart very quickly. So my windshield wipers were misaligned. So my car blinded me. (laughs) (laughs) Then my windshield melted from the heat. And then the car got confused by the laser beam lights that were flashing at night during the rain, and then you crashed. Yes. It's obvious and very apparent that the patent trade office is full of bad ideas. And this is just yet another one on that list. I would have thought they'd use it for heat and like some kind of anti-fog Oh, it's to give you, it's to give you like LASIK and cataracts. We're going we're to burn dirt off of your windshield. That just can't be efficient. That can't be energy efficient. It no, can't be efficient. All. And it sounds like they would not have a traditional windshield wiper blade going across the windshield. It almost reads that way, but that would be impossible because what do you do during a torrential downpour? There's you shoot no, the la- you shoot there's no amount of lasers. There's no amount of lasers that are going to clear the water. And to do it, the laser would be so powerful that, yes, it would burn your retina. Like, it looks like a freaking like Calvin Harris midnight rave. It's like lights everywhere and laser beams and shit. You might as well get out the glow sticks at that point. I mean, it's going to it's gonna be a travesty. Though it does beg the memory, the Cybertruck does not have windshield wipers, I believe. No, it has that, it has that Etch-A-Sketch thing where it moves, <laughs> does some crazy thing on the, on the windshield. Absolutely mental. The Cybertruck was delayed. Maybe it was delayed for laser beams. <laughs> Chips. Because laser the, beams. The Model X was the Falcon doors and the Cybertruck will be the stupid windshield. As you guys remember from last month, we decided to split up. We would be remiss and introduce something we like to call lowered expectations. <laughs> That's right. And I got to ask a question. I mean, we we brought up Magnus Walker before. He put out on his Instagram feed and they kind of one of them went viral. The other one sort of fell to the darkness. It was the Lambo van. It was a rendering that he put together of basically taking an 80s Lamborghini Countach and morphing it onto a VW van again, as you can see the core vehicle through this. And he also did one of an F40 and people went nuts. Like, oh my God, this is the most awesome thing in the world. Actually, I think got more press in a way than the release of the new Lamborghini Countach that we talked about last month. But I wanted to get your guys' opinions. What do you think about this? 
Well, I mean, one, the Countach definitely looks better than the F40. Yes. Like, like definitely. It's funny that the F40 got a lot more attention. I guess I have to be inclusive along my comments earlier that we need a broader accepting car culture. I would certainly take pictures of this if I found it out in the wild. That's for damn sure. I mean, it's the coolest Vanagon I've ever seen. I mean, if you told me that these were Gen 1 Transformers, totally be all over these. I would have both of them on my shelves and like expect them to transform into, you know, some robotic dude. Hang on. If it's this or a Pacifica, I'm definitely taking the Countach version. Vanagon. Oh, wow. A low blow. <laughs> Shots fired. I tell you what, mm, Zifica is legit. <laughs> Take the Kuntosh van and one of those crate Ford electric motors. <laughs> hey, exactly. now we're talking. Now, these would be really mm-hmm. cool as ring buses. Feel like though. a Pantera. Can you make well that too, right? Can you imagine? But take these on the Nurburgring, like they have the ring taxis. These would be pretty slick to go around in. I mean, I would pay to go around in a Lambo van on the Nurburgring. So that'd be pretty slick. I feel like if I made it all the way out there, I'd have better uses of my time. That's very true. That's, that's <laughs> I can't argue. I mean, with if that you logic. have infinite days of the track, if I'm gonna live the Nurburgring, sure. On the other side of lowered expectations, this one came from a friend of mine. She sent it to me and it was a TikTok link. And a gentleman converted a vehicle into a life-sized little red wagon, also known to many of us as the Astro Flyer. It's cool. I thought it at first was, I saw the handle and at first I was thinking back to that dude that made the... Yeah, yeah, the the, the, the trolley. The hand pump trolley train car thing. At first I was like, holy crap, is that this again? And then I thought it was a pedal cab kind of thing. But then I also thought it was one of those duck tour boats. Right? Things. Nope. It's a life-size little red wagon. Okay. <laughs> different strokes for different folks. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, check it out for yourselves in the show notes. Leave some comments. We're really interested to see what you think about this thing. I think it's kind of cool, but also just begs the question, why? Parade float. Yeah, 100%. Well, now we got to move on to rich people thing. This one pulls at my send it button pretty hard. And the title got me right away. And then I dug into it. Ever wonder if you could outrun a police pursuit? You won't have to wonder for very long if that police is a Tesla. Blah. You or an ID3 or whatever. Yeah, or any electric vehicle. <laughs> But now your wish can come true because in the United Kingdom, you can pay to try. <laughs> so, wait a, so wait a second. And the very next subtitle to this article is, it's you and a Porsche Boxster or Mazda Miata versus a law enforcement Dodge Charger. GTFO. Right? Really? That's what I said. A I Miata like, versus a Dodge Charger. On a racetrack. <sighs> on a highway. <laughs> Different problem. <laughs> on a racetrack first off ramp and then miata would be gone but but here's the deal let, let, let's give you the bluff right the bottom line up front an hour and a half includes the introductions to the basics right so they're assuming people don't have track time whatever so they go over safety racing lines throttle and braking you know typical hbde and hbdc type of stuff testing on the track getting familiar and then you get to choose between the boxster or the miata i would personally choose the boxster knowing what miatas are like no offense to me, auto lovers, just saying I'm in a police pursuit. I think I want the Porsche. Yes. It's a 15 minute police pursuit. So think about it as a shortened track session and you're being chased by a Dodge Charger 
in your attempt is to escape where you're escaping to. I don't know because you're lapping the track. I feel like I do this on any given weekend at the track anyway, and it probably costs a lot less, <laughs> but I like the idea of the cherries and berries chasing me around, but not in a Miata. That's for sure. That is for sure. Now, if you had told me come to the track with your own car and outrun the cops, hell yeah, let's do this. I'm in it to win it. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems it seems a little gimmicky. I, I was yeah. the, the headline was so cool. I was like, oh, this is gonna be awesome. I think it was one of the old Top Gear episodes. Maybe it was Top Gear US, where they had like a military base where they'd abandoned the housing mm-hmm. section. And so they ended up doing some little contests where they're running from Stig or Stig's chasing them around the housing section. And so you had this kind of residential setup, but of course there's nobody there. So if you jump a curb or run into a house or something, it's not a big deal. I was hoping it might be something like that. It seems like just a way to play flashlight tag on a yeah. racetrack. Yeah, exactly. And in a Miata, you're not going to get very far in 15 minutes. I hate to break it to you folks, especially with a Hemi charger behind you. It's not going to work. It's not going to take him very long to catch you. You better have like a three minute head start or something. But <laughs> Well, if you're in the market for a luxurious motor home and you happen to have a cool 2.4 million burning a hole in your pocket, you could check out a German brand called Volkner Mobile that makes a very luxurious motor home for which you could also slide your Bugatti or other high-performance luxury car underneath in its own private garage. (laughs) I love that the second picture is an i8. That's a bit of a change. I mean, picture seen... number one, Bugatti Chiron. Picture number two, an i8 we picked up for five bucks. <laughs> We've seen these before on the old Top Gear where they showed this being done with a Morgan Arrow 8, if I remember correctly. And they, they had an older Volkner on there. So I'm glad to see that they're still around. Didn't realize there was a huge market for these things. Redefines the toter home and, and the toy hauler and whatnot. But uh, yeah, if you got 2.4 million bucks to burn, what what the hell not? Send I mean, it. it. It looks super nice inside. I don't know if it looks 2.4 million nice though. And maybe if 2.4 is too steep, maybe the stereo system is an option because that would save you 355,000. Whoa. <laughs> Brings it down to a cool 1.9 million. All right. Before taxes, tags, and insurance. But it wouldn't be a drive-through if we didn't finally reach our most anticipated part of the show, our Florida man stories. So the first one is very interesting and unexplained. Ah, 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 no pun intended. Or was it a UFO (laughs) sighted on the Florida Turnpike? And apparently it's legit was not photoshopped but there's no explanation as to why this gigantic metal circular thing was driving down the turnpike i mean it's it's right in the name ufo there's no f here it was driving (laughs) (laughs) it was a udo unidentified driving object was seen on the florida turnpike I just want to know which VW Beetle this was built on top of. Um, <laughs> this thing is tragic. It's just, and I love the fact what makes it even better is the cover photo, which is in our show notes, looks like every other alien Bigfoot sighting photo yes. where every freaking person now has like 
triple and quadruple high definition cameras on their cell phone and this thing is grainy as shit like it was taken on an olympus from like 1982 like i do not understand yeah these people are taking 25 megapixel photos on their whatever phone Uh, this thing looks like it was a polaroid from god it's terrible the favorite instagram comment was new tesla (laughs) (laughs) it's a model u it's the model you baby i bet it's the, it's the cyber disc oh. <laughs> oh man but you know what i bet this has home depot parts in it as well this is guaranteed to be made in someone's basement with home depot parts 100%. dude that cockpit alone just is comically cartoonish like can you imagine driving this freaking thing down the highway it's just brutal it's brutal i mean the aerodynamics like at what speed do you start generating lift i mean look at the shape like you're gonna that thing is it's it's genuinely dangerous <laughs> it looks so unstable <laughs> Oh, guaranteed it's like some 72-year-old man driving to the flea market, like, you know, pick up cucumbers or something. It's just, oh, it's tragic. It's like like that Mercedes from 2000 or whatever that just flipped up in the air. It's like as soon as that guy hits 55, he's taking off. Oh, the CLK GTR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From uh, Le Mans. All right, what's next? You're killing me. So we're going to take a detour real quick out of Florida. We're going to go north to vermont whoa we haven't been to vermont yet we've never been to vermont before and honestly this seems very uncharacteristic of, of a vermontian but hey there's all types everywhere so apparently there was a man in vermont charged with stealing five teslas oh but also lighting it on fire on lake champlain <laughs> so he bought them with initial small payments and then started doing a whole multiple bank accounts and all different places trying to bullshit his way out of paying for them and then the fifth one apparently because i guess he couldn't get the right paperwork to turn around and sell these cars right away after he bought them for nothing and didn't finish the payments he drove it out onto the lake when it was iced over and then it allegedly just caught on fire spontaneously I guess. was there like an ambulance or something nearby with the there on? might have been like an emergency vehicle out on the lake that it slammed into and then combusted but he tried to file an insurance claim which, Holy cow. of course which, he did which was rejected so kudos to that insurance adjuster uh, or insurance agent the vehicles apparently totaled six hundred seven thousand dollars good god so these were high-end Jesus. teslas i guess this is where the uh, direct-to-consumer market is good because normally a dealer would have to eat that. A relatively yeah. small business would be stuck with that payment to the bank. But nope, that comes right out of Elon's pocket. So, How do you feel about this guy when he puts your name? You're allegedly friends with this dude and he puts your name on these purchases. I mean, that's like your buddy signing you up for porn magazines too, right? I mean, it's <laughs> as a guy, anyway. it's the same thing. Who knew these people were in Vermont, but they're there too, ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, it could have been worse. He could have done like that Porsche guy we talked about last year who printed his own checks on the printer at home and then went and bought them with that. So, you know, hey, there's all different ways to approach this. Well, let's go back down to Florida real quick. So there is a link out there of a Facebook video of a fabulous bystander who stopped, observed this and recorded it. So thank you to those people. Was it grainy or was it actually like visible? 
No, it's pretty good. I mean, he, I wish he was a little bit closer so I could see better, but it's enough. So Florida man was pulled over in the middle of, you know, whatever the highway there was road, minor highway, not major. And uh, he got out. And then instead of just staying in the car or just standing outside the car, you should never get outside the car unless the police directed you to, he starts twerking (laughs) in the middle of the road and it's raining outside. So there's a Florida man twerking in the middle of the freaking road. And then the police tase him to subdue him. I I can't, I, I cannot unsee this. And I want, and I want to. You don't want to unsee it. It's fantastic. <laughs> this is just, oh, it's epic. I mean, the restraint from the officer is pretty good. Like, he could have tased that guy a couple minutes earlier. Yes, he could have. But he let it go, you know, thinking maybe he'd twerk himself out and get a little tired, I guess, and get compliant. Like, <laughs> I mean... I'd rather see this guy twerking in the middle of the traffic than those assholes we talked about that are doing donuts in the middle of the beltway. You know, oh God, I, yeah. I stop. I stop for the twerking. I mean, you know, it's entertainment. Whew. So brutal. What the hell is going on in Florida? And, and the next one must have been the Vermont guy's cousin or something. But you know, these are more like dumbest criminal files. So Florida guy, he uh, steals a car from a Chrysler Dodge Jeep dealership. All right. Then he turns around and tries to trade it back into the same dealership. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're never going to check the bin. Which they did do and realized that the car that went missing on their lot just a few days earlier was in fact this same car now trying to be traded in. Oh my God. So good job on you. I do love the comments. So you always got to read the comments. Did he have the dealer tag still on it? That was your first clue. Hey, Bob, you know that dealer tag that went missing? Just came in for trade-in. God. Lord. But if that wasn't bad enough. Oh, please, please tell me there's more. I mean, you can just read the title and it just explains the whole article, right? So Florida man arrested for indecent exposure after driving naked through seven toll booths. Well, I mean, was it summertime? Because I mean, it's hot in Florida. I mean, it's, it's you know, it was August, it was late was, August, early September in Florida. So yes, was, was he so fat that he covered his private parts? In which case, I mean, is that really indecent exposure? <laughs> the toll workers could apparently see those areas. Oh, that area. That's unfortunate. He that's the one nudist. time we're being really overweight could be helpful. He was nudist. He was nudist. That's his defense. It's a it's a religious defense. It's part of his religion. The hilarious part is the gentleman Philia, his last name, Philia was identified through photo comparison and security footage. I'm just going to let exactly photo comparisons of what brings a whole brings a whole new uh, definition. I've seen that dickhead before. People just get the freaking easy pass, all right? I've seen that asshole before. Damn it, he's back. (laughs) To round out the Florida man, I kept this one for last. Well, I thought this one was amusing. And you know what? This this person, you know, he got fed up. He got tired. You know, he's probably tired of spending money, having to repair his car. And he's he's clearly an environmentally conscious individual. (laughs) Oh, God. So I give him props because he got tired of the private road that he drives on being in poor condition, riddled with potholes. So what does he do? 
He takes matters into his own hands and he plants a banana tree in the pothole. <laughs> what? So now instead of driving over the pothole, you have to evade a banana tree? Yep. <laughs> yes. So in the, and you know what? He considers himself warning other motorists that the pothole's there because you'll see the tree. You might not have seen the pothole. All right, so there's some definite upsides here, right? So number one, you'd have a really easy measurement for how long the potholes remain unfixed because you could see how tall the tree is. Exactly. And if you click on the picture, it's surprisingly tall. I'm surprised no one just ran over the damn thing. It's like four or five feet tall, which is (laughs) crazy. Um, I kind of think a downside would be the root system wouldn't be so great for the road. It's already obviously imperiled all by itself i have to think that part is maybe not great that's true long term this tree is going to cause more damage than good but you said it was a private road and i don't know what that means probably not maintained by the city or the county or the township so right but what is that is it is is it his own road then (laughs) i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it's a trailer park in florida with an HOA that is somehow shockingly behind on its dues, maybe because it's a trailer park in Florida, and they can't afford to keep up the roots. <laughs> so we put in a banana tree. You can so, afford the banana tree. Obvious but- solution is you plant a banana tree in the potholes. Because the money is in the banana stand, right? Hey, you know. There's a little arrested development for you. He's got a business going here. So kudos to him. He's being environmentally conscious because it does say the idea came to his mind after having to fill holes in the street with cement multiple times. (laughs) So this gentleman has been taking it upon himself to do road repair that hasn't been working. He's been pouring quickrete into (laughs) the potholes. (laughs) And oddly enough, I think what saddens me the most is that regardless of whatever he's using, quickrete, concrete, dog manure, I don't care. A banana tree is somewhat cheaper than all of those items that you could be putting in a pothole. It just baffles my mind. I mean, I don't even know how the seeds on it. Where do you get the seed for banana? Did did he use like a, a split or did he... Take a cutting from. I mean, I am not. I am the furthest thing from a botanist. So he went to the local. He went to the local garden center. He picked up the pre-started, pre-grown potted banana plant, probably, and just plopped it in there. There was some Miracle Grow. Miracle Grow is not cheap, though. You know. Again, solid logic, environmentally friendly approach to fixing the road. Ah, Florida, you delight me every month. There's just so much going on there. But unfortunately, we have to go behind the wall very quickly for some motorsports news. And this month, we concentrate mostly on open wheel racing. And I'm just going to do a couple quick things here. First up, we talked about Michael Andretti starting his U.S.-based Formula One team last month. He has apparently signed Grosjean, or Grosjean, or however you want to pronounce it, to run on the Andretti Autosport team in 2022. So that's solidifying some dates, solidifying a, a named driver. I'm really excited to see how that goes for Team Andretti and wish them the best of luck. In addition to that, there was a pretty epic crash that we posted the video for on our show notes that happened at Spa after Spa has now finally been reopened during the Formula W series. It's a pretty bad pileup. There's in multiple angles, slow motion in real time, etc. All I can say is there must have been debris on the track and somebody or a liquid that they didn't see and that one of the flaggers didn't catch it. It happened basically right at Eau Rouge. Pretty bad accident there. My other big thing was Formula W question mark but we can save that we'll put a pin in it and talk about it on another episode meanwhile more drama 
in Formula One land. And the, the non-drama side is that Kimi Raikkonen has finally announced his retirement, but with that brought a whole shuffling of drivers as he leaves the seat at Alpha. Much to the correct speculation of folks, Botas leaves Mercedes, fills the seat from Kimi in Alpha. George Russell is moving to Mercedes to team with Lewis Hamilton, and they are bringing back Albon to fill the now vacant Williams seat from George Russell. And we got Grosjean going to Andretti next year. So there you go. But the real drama came at the Monza race where there was another incident between Verstappen and Hamilton, which took them both out. I don't know my Monza turn numbers, but as they're coming down, you know, past start, finish, pit lane out, the right-hander, sharp right-hander into the, you know, 90-degree right, 90-degree left, that quick chicane right there. Hamilton came out of the pits. He had established front wheels in front of Verstappen, who was already, you know, hot on track. Uh, Hamilton came in on the inside into that first turn. Verstappen tried to take the outside. Of course, you immediately have to come over to the left to make the next turn. There was a pinching off that happened. Essentially, the, the tires of Verstappen hit hit Hamilton's that shot Verstappen up on top of Hamilton where his car then ended up coming to rest and when you watch kind of the replay you actually see that if the halo hadn't been there Lewis Hamilton would probably either be dead or very critically injured because the front or back tire of Verstappen's car actually bounced off his head you know most of that force was luckily absorbed by the halo but there was still impact so had that halo not been there that would have been a catastrophic incident Good on Formula One for making these safety improvements to help save these drivers' lives. At the end of the day, it was deemed that Verstappen was more at fault in this incident, being a little too aggressive, I think was the final ruling. He's, I think, receiving like a three-place penalty at the start of the next race. To no one's surprise, right? (laughs) I don't even follow Formula One that closely, but that accident certainly made it into my you know, news cycle on it's just that kind of safety stuff. If they can make those improvements, they need to. Yeah. And a lot of us laughed about that halo and how goofy it looks and it impairs the driver's vision and all this kind of stuff. And I I was still skeptical on whether or not it works because it's very rare that a formula car like flips over or you have an accident like this. I mean, this is reminiscent of some like weird karting accident where one goes underneath the other one kind of deal. But I often wonder too, that they make these safety improvements, they make some of these drastic changes. And then that gives the drivers a false sense of invincibility where they're like, well, I can risk because now we have this added safety thing. And so maybe, you know, we can try a little bit harder. So I often wonder that it comes at an expense and there's a balance there. And so maybe if it wasn't there, then they would know, hey, I'm not going to take that risk. I'm going to back off. I'm going to give them the space. Like you didn't, even in the post- Senate days when they would battle it out and take each other out. It was never like this. Like, I feel like they're a lot more aggressive now, or maybe just Verstappen's more aggressive in general. You know, he is a former Carter and things like that. He's just maybe it never got out of his system. I'm not trying to make excuses. I just, I'm glad it's there. Hamilton's still around and all that, but uh, well, I think there's been some other accidents though, that haven't been necessarily contact on contact like this, where the halo has probably saved the driver's life. That's the whole rugby versus football, you know, analogy relative to the protective equipment and do American football players take more risks. 
I think it's pro- there's probably some validity. It's, it's not mutually exclusive. It can be both of those things. Well, unfortunately, we don't have a ton of other motorsport news this month. You know, we've been so busy with everything else that's been going on, including Florida Man stories. But we want to just wrap up the show here with some local news and shout outs and whatnot and reminders of things that are coming up. So for anybody that's listening, this is obviously airing on the 28th of September. Our town hall is the 29th. It's our open general assembly meeting. If you want to come and meet some of the crew here at GTM, some of the region chiefs, other members, it's a bit of a happy hour type of format. We talk about things. It's your opportunity to voice your opinion or come check us out and see how you like it. If you want to become part of the team and become part of our ever-growing organization, details for that are on our website, gtmotorsports.org. Look under club events and the information is there readily available for you. On to our trackside report sponsored by hpdejunkie.com. What's coming up in September, October? The two hottest things that have come across my desk right now is Hooked on Driving has added another date to their calendar kind of last minute. They're going to be at Palmer Motorsports Park the weekend of October 9th. It's been a while since HOD has been to Palmer. I was at the last time that they were there and I loved it. It's the fastest mountain road you've ever raced on. They actually blew off the top of a mountain to build this racetrack up there. So if you haven't experienced Palmer yet, there's this little bit of added risk and and awesomeness because it's very different than any other racetrack you've been to. But even if you just want to go and check it out and you live in the Northeast, head on up to Palmer and see what it's all about and meet the friendly folks over at Hooked on Driving. Now for us here at GTM, a lot of us are wrapping up our season. We got folks at Indianapolis right now at the SCCA runoffs. We got events, you know, now through basically November where we wrap up with the Audi club. But for those of us here on the show, we're probably wrapping up our season this year at the end of October, October 22nd through 24th at Watkins Glen. So if you're going to be in that area and you want to kind of check it out, we're going to go visit with our friends at Hooked on Driving up at Watkins Glen. So be sure to join us up there October 22nd through 24th. Now, I also want to give a big shout out to our newest sponsor, AmericanMuscle.com. AmericanMuscle.com is your source for Mustang, Camaro, and Mopar performance parts. So be sure to check out AmericanMuscle.com for details. And we look forward to having them on our show in the future to talk about everything they offer, how they came to be, and how they can help you with your Ford, Chevy, or Mopar performance car. So stay tuned for more on that. And in case you missed out, check out the other podcast episodes that aired earlier this month. This month was filled with crossovers. We got our drink on with health and hydration consultant Ken Newbill as we discussed techniques for beating the dreaded track hangover. Intrigue, espionage, and the occult was the theme when we spoke with author and historian John W. Warner IV about his book series, Little Anton. And be sure to check out the follow-on Patreon Pit Stop episode where we go beyond Little Anton, hashtag aliens. And in the biggest no prep drag race event of the season, we lined up original versus sequels in a movie showdown with Steve and Izzy from Everything I Learned from Movies. And if we didn't have enough crossovers this month, tune in for a bonus episode with Carolyn Ford and Mark Sennell of Tech Transforms Podcast, where we speak about the intersection between racing and information technology. Thank you to everyone that came on the show this month, and please look forward to more great episodes in this season. That's right. And some quick shout outs, anniversaries within GTM, Sam Harrington, seven years, Brian Shod, our Northeast region chief, six years, 
Dave Scherf from the Southern States region, six years, Bobby Paulshock, two, Jeremy Rinker down in Southern States as well, two years, and new member Ben Smith, also from the Southern States region, has joined us. And everything we talked about on this episode will be available on gtmotorsports.org as part of the show notes that follow along with this episode. And, you know, if you're looking to be a part of Break Fix, you have some ideas, do not hesitate to reach out, give us a buzz, send us an email. And also remember that when you listen to these episodes, although the drive through is a little bit on the longer side, don't forget to smash that like button, subscribe. By doing that, it really helps us move up the ranks, beat the algorithms, and get more exposure for our ever-growing petrolhead-fueled podcast series. And I do want to take a moment as a special thank you again to Mark Shank, our returning guest from the What Should I Buy 90s episode for coming on, putting up with all the antics and all the topics that we went through. It was an absolute blast. And thank you again for coming on the show and filling in for Brad. Thanks a lot. It was a ton of fun. Glad to do it. And we would be remiss if we didn't thank our executive producer, Tanya, for all the hard work she puts into organizing the show and keeping us on track and keeping us honest. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) And on that bombshell, again, for all the folks, all the members, the fans, the families, the subscribers, everybody that supports Grand Touring Motorsports, without you, none of this would be possible. Thank you all. And we'll see you next month. Bye. Thank you. Cars in back of us, all just waiting to order. There's some idiot in a Volvo with his bright sun behind me. I lean out the window and scream, Hey, what you trying to do? Blind me. My wife says maybe we should call. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash gtmotorsports. And remember... Without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.